Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians on our second of our three-part tribute to Chris Doherty's Reign of Terror in Vanuatu. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. And I'm Mike Bloom. And we are going to pick up right where we left off, I believe. uh, Where did we stop last time, guys? After episode four, which was Brady commenting on how much this sucks. Yep, and uh, essentially the audience was also commenting on how much it sucked as well. No, they weren't talking about our podcast, right? They were talking about no, Brady. The, the season. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Just making sure. Well, to be specific about our podcast, like, I mean, Mario, you're the star, right? So you never suck. And and, and, and Mike's the temp, so, you know, he's new. So it's really me. So yeah. I, I apologize. I'll, I'll, the, this will all just fall squarely on me. Um, and I'm sorry. Um, yeah. uh, but go fuck yourself. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you, Jay. Thank uh, you for taking the hit. Not, not a problem. We're all good. <laughs> All right, so we are going to jump right into episode five here, and it's it's kind of interesting the way we've set up the podcast for Vanuatu because it really kind of is a three-part season. You got the first four episodes, which is just standard, pretty much any Survivor season. Then you got the twist and the gender mix-ups coming up where there's going to be a lot of hurt feelings. And then our third part will be the reign of terror of Chris. So it's it's it actually there's a natural three-part breakdown of this uh, season, so it's kind of interesting that way. Yeah, although... What's funny is that, you know, when you said in the previous podcast, in part one, you said that Chris's story doesn't kick into high gear until the end. And you're right. I mean, the high gear for Chris is quite clearly the end, you know, just like Voldemort is in a Harry Potter book. But like this middle section here, this it's very, you know, set the table for the run at the end. But there people show up. In this, se- in, in this section in surprising ways, and some people show up like Chris more often than you think, and some people show up not as often as you think. Like, it's a really deceptive sort of bit of episodes. So yeah. is this the uh, Prisoner of Azkaban of Vanuatu right now? That's a good book, by the way. Three and four are my favorite, but that's a whole topic for another day. <laughs> yes. All right, so uh, one, just one thing I wanted to point out before we get into this part. I just a little comment I was, I was noticing today. It's funny for as unpopular a season as Vanuatu was, and again, I cannot overemphasize that enough, how just people did not, not even, they were just blah by the season, they just didn't like it. But it's amazing how early this came out of the seasons that were released on DVD. This was one of the first six seasons released on DVD, which I find astounding. Now, why do you think this was released way before, like, Marquesas and Africa? I'm trying to remember when it was released. I want to say it was released like I think it was released like the year after it came out, right? Yeah, it like was very fast. Yeah. In fact, I have right here. I looked it up this morning. The seasons were released. Borneo was the first one where it was released, and I I thought Australia was second, but I, that's incorrect. Actually, All Stars was All-Stars, second. All Stars, yeah. And then Australia, and then Pearl Islands. So those were the big four, and then they released Palau and Vanuatu kind of uh, simultaneously, and it was like. That that was the seasons were not that well received, and so it was like almost a good four years before another season was released on DVD. And I forget if that was uh, Amazon Africa or Marquesas, but they all kind of came out there. But yeah, Vanuatu was one of the original six, which just astounds me for a season that nobody liked at the time. Could it have just been recency bias? It could have been. I mean, Lord knows the Survivor audience who uh, recently voted Spencer as the greatest player of all time is uh, bound to fall for recency bias. But yeah, it's I. But that's the thing. Recency bias only works if things something's popular. Yeah, but the show is still sort of. I, I mean, it's popular, and and I, 
I feel like sometimes even we as Survivor historians here on the show fall into a trap of, well, you know, Survivor Africa had about 18 million people watching the show and, you know, Survivor Vanuatu had about 13 million people watching the show. So, you know, so many more people loved and is beloved and loved Marquesas. And I find that, you know, really, you know, there were, I, as you know, Mario, there were, there were corners of the Internet that are very heavy into Survivor. Quite clearly, Survivor Sucks has been there the entire way. So hats off to Survivor Sucks. You know, and, and there were things that were going on, like Rob says, you know, there's the fishbowl and, you know, stuff that's going on. But, like, today there's such, like, Survivor fandom is, it's not huge, but, you know, there's a lot more spots on the internet for people to go to. Mm-hmm. And so I feel that a lot of these older seasons, like Marquesas, like you're saying, they're beloved. And, and they are beloved, but... I don't know if there was, you know, 15 million people at the time clamoring for Survivor Marquesas DVDs. Yeah, and that's the thing. It was it was a very odd thing for a reality show to be re- released on DVD. I know that was the that was the argument that the the CBS would make. Like, who is going to rewatch a season where you know the winner? So it was very much an uphill battle to even get Survivor seasons on DVD at all. It might have been a marketing thing as well. You know, they probably figured, okay, these two seasons are not as popular, but if the eventual goal is to get them all on DVD, we might as well release them now. Whereas, like, maybe seasons like Africa and Marquesas, if we release them, you know, a year or two afterwards, after we release these ones, people will still like them and will want to buy them. Uh, Obviously, that wasn't the case, since these these were the last two that they made for quite some time. But that was probably thinking of, like, let's just get these recent ones out of the way. So that way we can uh, we can hopefully capitalize on how much people like the old seasons as well. And of course, let's not overlook the fact that uh, Jeff Probst's girlfriend Julie was in a season, and maybe he would like to get her a little uh, exposure out there. Julie and exposure—nice <laughs> two words that you use there. We'll be talking about a lot that a lot in the next three hours. <laughs> not as much as Sarge is talking about it, though. No, he's been to Europe though, so he's he's. <laughs> that loaded. was the best. Oh man, we need to get to that. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's let's speed ahead so we can get to Sarge's white ass here. All right, so let's get into uh, episode five. Brady has just left. We are about to hit the twist where this the, the whole dynamics of the season are about to change, and here we go. Episode five starts off with uh, basically the men of Lopevi sitting around and bickering because Bubba always takes the prime sleeping spot. Yep. And as, as we talked about in the last podcast, Bubba's, Bubba's uh, you know, trite catchphrase to this argument is always uh, build the bridge and get over it, as, as Jay likes to say as the vacation. I still, I still love that catchphrase. But yeah, it's, it, this is, of course, we don't know it at the time, and I'm not even saying that the editors are totally tipping their hand in this first five minutes, but this is Bubba's boot episode, <laughs> you know. So, 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 you know, we need to pile on poor Bubba on the way out. So, so even before we've got craziness going on within this, this episode that we're just even about to touch on in, in a little bit, um, you know, we've got the men at Lepevi coming back from tribal council and then just, you know, bickering with, with Bubba at night about sleeping positions and in the morning. Bubba's like, yeah, get over it, which is good for Bubba or maybe not. Yes. And to, uh, unfortunately, this will be Bubba's highlight of this episode. Yeah, yeah. this will be the, the most adept he is at the game in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Bubba, yes, he, what, what was Bubba's best move in episode five? Uh, he told them all to get over it because he was sleeping in the best spot in the, in the shelter. <laughs> exactly. Survivor genius. There we go. All right. So, and this is where we're about to hit the twist where the, uh, 
the island guy comes and talks to them and tells them to pick one chief. One yeah. chief. One chief. One chief. And then I, I love the, the he comes to Yasser. I need to pick one chief. And Lisa, Lisa, one of my, one of my subtly favorite players in the season, immediately nominates Scout. Scout. Scout's our chief. I want to see at Lepevi. I want to see uh, everyone point to Sarge and Sarge once again attempt to lean his way out of it. <laughs> Me? Yeah, so they get what John Kenny instead. <laughs> I did like, you know, it, I feel like this season, I, I was thinking about another reason why I like this season. I mentioned uh, in the previous podcast that I like this season because it's very nuts and bolts season to watch if you want to learn how to play Survivor. But I also really think that a lot of raw footage and by i don't really mean raw footage but they show a lot of it's not very clean all the editing i mean the editing is slick but they show a lot of sort of warts and all to this season which i just love and enjoy and i just love the fact that like the native comes and basically says i need one chief and like they all nominate sarge on the pevy and then sarge is like well i think i'm going on a journey so then you see him like taking off his pants to you know just be in his in his swimsuit and then he hands them the scepter and the necklace, and then he leaves, and they're all just standing there with Sarge, like, holding the scepter, like, you know, it is radioactive or something, and they're all just looking around like, uh, what? It's like that, it's like that scene in uh, Austin Powers when Dr. Evil does his evil laugh, and they all laugh for a while, then they just fade out, and they're still laughing, but the camera's still watching them, and they're all done laughing, they don't know what to do now. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, it's, it's just fun, because it's probably clearly confusing at the time and they don't necessarily have to show that the men are so confused. I mean, I think they are painting some sort of broader picture of the ineptness of the men in this game and how they're, you know, going to get outmaneuvered by the females down the line. But, you know, it's just this fun little thing where like they were asked to choose a chief. Sarge is like, well, I guess I'm going on the boat. And then they, the guy hands him a scepter and a necklace and leaves. And Sarge is like, well, I guess I'm not going on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the same thing happens at Yasser. They give Scout the little staff, and then he leaves. And Lisa, of course, who cannot have a thought without verbalizing it, is going bye-bye now? Going bye-bye? I'm surprised she didn't start singing a hymnal as he was paddling away. <laughs> that, that, that would be consistent with, uh, with behavior in the past. <laughs> All right, and then it's funny that you mentioned the, uh, the kind of unpolished footage because that leads us perfectly into the next scene, which is maybe one of the more famous scenes of Vanuatu, which is the big earthquake scene. Yep, and uh, so they're, so we don't get too much talk about you know the chiefs being chosen because in the middle of Leanne's confessional, we just see her eyes go wide and we hear a little rumbling in the background and she just lets out an oh shit before the camera starts shaking. That is a great shot, and then they show a bunch, a lot of a couple other out of focus shots of people reacting to stuff. It's just like Jay said, it's just one of those moments that's wasn't really meant to be in the episode, but they captured it, so they might as well show the footage. It's, ni- it's nice to have all those cameras rolling most of the time, right? So that when something like that happens, and you could tell, like, a lot of the cameras weren't showing some prime, you know, bit of footage, but they were rolling during the time, and they were around characters, because that's what cameras are supposed to show on Survivor. So you did get some blurry reactions from Bubba and stuff like that. But, you know, you, you got some from Lisa, too. And I did want to bring up, I, I, this is what it reminds me. My wife has a phrase for certain people and she usually attributes it to women but it can be for men too but some of her friends she says are what she calls woo girls <laughs> and it's you know it's 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 girls that you know just when something happens they just go yeah woo you know and and, and they're usually very positive and over bubbly and and it's not necessarily a, a bad thing or anything like that but it, it, it can you know be annoying or you know maybe at times inappropriate but it's like 
that's what Lisa is. Lisa is a woo girl. Like, you know, everyone's just like, oh, my God, did you feel that earthquake? And she's like, well, I sure felt it. And I sure felt it like a lot. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was so scared. And it was like, we didn't need the whole thing. The question was, did you feel it? Yeah, for all the talk that we have about uh, how annoying Eliza is from the rest of the women, I'm, I'm greatly surprised that until, like, the next episode or so, nobody's like, Lisa, just shut up. Because that's how I feel like I would react if I was on a tribe with her after, like, 12 days or so. You know what, though? I get the sense Lisa was right there in the power core in this tribe. Seems like she's in almost every scene. Yeah, because I think that she's just she's just up in everyone's grill with things, you know? Yeah. She's always around, and she always has... In opinion, is going to verbalize it. It's it's the whole woo girl sort of mentality. You know, it, it reminds me in a way. This is a really really off tangent, but I guess I'm famous for really really off tangents. Um, I remember during the Atlanta Summer Olympic Games. What was that 1996? Yes. Yeah. Uh, d- you know the unfortunate incident that happened in Atlanta with the uh, with the with the park bombing, right? That mm-hmm. happened, and I was living in in uh, in L.A. at the time, uh, and when that happened the LA newscasters on one of the uh, main stations that were there in Atlanta doing the live coverage. One of the guys name was Paul Moyer. And like he kept, they, they kept like talking about the bombing. Right. And Paul Moyer kept insisting to the camera that he was, he had to be at least 700, 700 feet from where the bomb was. Right. And, you know, he was obviously very shaken up and stuff like that, but like they kept bringing people and experts and witnesses and all these people on there to talk about, you know, this, this incident that just happened. And, you know, some people are like, yeah, I was a hundred feet away from the explosion. And Paul's like, Oh really? Well, I was 700 feet. So it's basically yeah. like, uh, the Kristen Wiggs Penelope character from yeah. SNL. It's just like or, a one upper kind of thing, you know, or coach. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like with Lisa, like other people are like, Oh my gosh, that was my first. She's like, well, I've never experienced anything like that. And I'm going to I was scared. And just like, we didn't need all that information, but she's going to tell you anyway. Okay, I do have to point this out now, the earthquake reaction. For anybody who's never been in an earthquake before, it's really fascinating to watch that scene and everyone's reaction to the earthquake. Like, most of the people are scared. You know, Lisa's flat out terrified. Eliza's just shaking. And then you have Chad over there raising his arms in triumph throughout the earthquake because that is what Californians do. Yeah. And it's funny because Jay here, Jay is a native Californian. I've lived in Southern California for 15 years, and that is such a California way to react to an earthquake. Hands up in the air in triumph, enjoying every minute of it. And it's just funny to watch that. If you see in the episode, you have Chad absolutely loving the earthquake, and then Sarge, who I'm assuming has spent a lot of time in California as well, also think it's the coolest thing ever. So it's just a little fascinating uh, thing of sociology there based on where you live, how you react to an earthquake. Would you say Chad has his earthquake legs then? <laughs> yes. Yes, I would say he had his earthquake leg. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, and it's got to be somewhat scary out there. But by the same token, even though there are trees and, and things, debris above your head, I mean, you're pretty clear out there. You're sort of in nature. Well, and so it, it can't be too, too terrible, right? I mean, one of the one of the fears in an earthquake, and, and that, that was a big one because um, – for those of you who've never been in an earthquake, Bubba says something. I'm, I'm skipping slightly ahead, but when they get to the challenge, Jeff asks them all, "Did you see? The, did you feel the earthquake?" And they were all like, "Oh my god!" And, and Bubba is offering information. He's like, "I heard the earth move, and then I felt everything shake." And it's like, for those of you who've not been in an earthquake, if you he- if you can hear it before you feel things shaking, it's a big earthquake, and maybe you should be slightly concerned. Not like you're gonna die, but 
you know, if, sometimes people visit California, you know, and, and all of a sudden things start rattling or shaking and, and you look around really scared. What, what, what the crap's going on? What the hell? It's an earthquake. Oh, my God, are we going to die? If all you do is just sit there and then you feel things shaking, you're going to be just fine. It's very little. Ride it out. Have a good time. If you can hear rumbling going, like when that Northridge quake hit, you know, you could hear that coming and then things shake. And it's like, this is going to be bad. <laughs> I do have to point out, you said that they were kind of in the open. They actually comment on that in the episode that they had to watch out for coconuts falling down. Yeah. So that's the one thing you do watch out for is things falling on you. Yeah, the, tree, the trees don't, don't help. But, you know, usually the concern always, you know, when you're in California is you're usually in some sort of building. And it's like, is the building going to fall? I guess since Jay did a, ta- a tangent earlier, I'll do another one. This The ultimate why Californians think of earthquakes differently than other people's story. In 1989, you had the big Bay Area uh, earthquake in the middle of the World Series in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. This was like the biggest earthquake, you know, in in recent history. It's made that people still talk about it today. Immediately after that earthquake, all the people were packed in the baseball stadium in San Francisco. This huge earthquake happens. And the first reaction after that is not panic. It's people in the stands, they start chanting, we will rock you. So in other words... They don't realize how big this earthquake was, but their first instinct is to use the earthquake to psych out the other team. That's all I'm pointing out. That's, that's that the typical California reaction to earthquakes. And I so, bet you Jose Canseco was just rattled out of his mind. <laughs> yes. Now, I just imagine the earthquake happening and Rory shouting, The Pervy! <laughs> <laughs> and Mother Nature just stops and says, You are messing me up! <laughs> <laughs> so... Of the three of us, Mike is the only one who's never been in an earthquake. So if we happen to have one during the taping of this podcast, that would be the greatest thing ever. I'm just pointing that out. You can hear Mike's instinctive reaction as he runs out the door. Yeah, exactly. You'll hear, you'll hear the jingle of keys and the slamming of doors and just the constant chanting of, oh, shit, oh, shit, yeah. oh, shit. Although and then I, we can, I we can bring him. Go ahead. I was just saying, I must point out, though, that if all three of us are feeling an earthquake <laughs> simultaneously, yeah. with you being you know, on the West Coast and Mike being on the East Coast and me being in the Midwest... We've got bigger problems. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining the image, Jay. People think we're sitting in a studio together talking. Oh, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm sorry. I've screwed up the entire podcast. Uh, I'm sorry, viewers. Um, yeah, one, once yeah. again, Jay ruins everything. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, that fourth wall has been shattered. Uh, go fuck yourself. All the good news is, though, though, if we have an earthquake and Mike runs out the door, we can bring in Kristen as the new temp. She's been <laughs> waiting in a, in a sealed booth over here for the last couple weeks. Yeah, you should probably give her some food or something. She, she's not looking so well. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Kristen. It's so good. Wow. All right, here we go. Let's get back to Vanuatu. Okay, so we had an earthquake. We had all the Californians doing awesome Californian stuff. Uh, and now here comes the twist. Drop your buffs. Yes, drop your buffs because Jeff explains that the two chiefs that were chosen, which was Sarge and Scout, they will be the leaders of the new tribes. And basically, Jeff explains that to make things fair, which, you know, always in Survivor, it's Survivor fair. One chief is going to be picking the new tribes, which will be alternating, uh, you know, men, one man over here, one woman over here, and then alternating uh, genders as they go through everybody on the list. And then the second chief will choose which of the tribes they will go to. Now, what did you guys think of that? Uh, just because I know we talked last episode with the individual immunity challenge, how it was like kind of unnecessarily complicated and i feel like this might be another example of that just because later on in other seasons we simply have people you know two chiefs just pick people alternating picks and it seemed to we saw it in thailand too it it like it turned out fine so i'm I'm a little confused as to why they decided for this one twist to be like all right one of you is gonna 
handpick the tribes, and then the other will pick the tribe that they're on. It was just, again, unnecessarily complicated, in my opinion. Well, as a parent of two children, I know this is the classic way how when you have two kids and one cookie, and they're going to divide up a cookie. So this is classic parenting technique right here. Explain this analogy. There's, you have two kids and one cookie, and they want to share the cookie, and I'm like, all right, well, my son, you divide them in half, and my daughter gets to pick which half she wants. That's okay. The, oh. I, I needed to think you were like, you were like two, two kids, one cookie. I'm like, okay, kids, there's only one Oreo left, so you need to choose the tribes, and the <laughs> other one needs – I was like, I, I needed more help with that. I will tell you, any parent listening to this podcast got my analogy, you, you childless freaks. Well, again, I apologize. I screwed everything up. Go fuck yourself. But, you know. Now, the other thing I wanted to say is it's, I'm not a big fan of this twist just because it gives Scout and Sarge a lot of power in how the game's going to play out. Yeah, but like you said, I mean, this, this is just like Jake and Jan picking tribes at the beginning of Thailand. This is like, uh, you know, Dave, <laughs> Dave Johnson and Jenna, <laughs> Jenna Maraska picking tribes in Amazon. Like, you can't, you, it's exactly the same. Hello, sports fans, bangerang. <laughs> hey there. I, uh, I don't know if I want to pick or choose. I mean, you know, it does not take a rocket scientist to figure out which one would be the best option. Okay, Garnet, Garnet. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I forgot about Dave. Thank you for bringing him back to the podcast. How could you forget about Dave? It's like one of my impressions. Anyway. Yes, so they split up the team. Sarge gets to, or uh, Scout picks, and Sarge gets to decide which one of the two he wants. And it's kind of interesting in that it's telling right here. You can see who Sarge's best allies are because he goes with the one with Chris and Chad, not the one with Bubba and Rory and John, which, I mean, seems obvious in retrospect those would be his best allies, but that's... I mean, that's Sarge's mindset. He's going to pick the tribe with the two guys he's closest to. I saw it differently. I saw it because only Bubba and Rory were on the one side, and Chad, Chris, and John were on the other side. So, like, there were more men on that team. Mm -hmm. And I think Sarge just said, more men will win more. I'm going to go with the more men tribe. Do you, do you think he had any thoughts, though, about, like, if I move over to this other tribe, this, if the other tribe loses, that might basically screw my other two allies? I don't think he had that much forethought, and also, you know, but I think Mario's got a point in the sense that you can see that he's better allies with Chad and Chris, but also he's butting heads with Rory. So it's yeah. like, does he, I, I think he was, he saw the, he was like, well, I don't necessarily want to go to Rory's tribe because I'm having trouble with Rory, but there's all these dudes on this tribe, and I'm cool with most of them. Yep. Sounds good. And then, of course, the one person not picked, our favorite, Lisa, who, I'm going bye-bye now, going bye-bye. That's her little catchphrase. That's the Lisa catchphrase. And this this is interesting to me because, I mean, obviously it was Scout picking teams, and as much as as much as we like Scout, I don't think Scout has entirely the finger on the pulse of the Yasser tribe at this point. Mm-hmm. Like like she does and she doesn't. I feel, but I think it is telling. Like you said, I think Lisa's part of the power core of the Yasser tribe. I would disagree. Like she didn't pick Lisa. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm surprised would- that yeah she picked Eliza to be on a tribe before she picked Lisa. Yeah, and I would argue she did have her finger on the pulse, but it was only on Twyla's pulse. Ugh. Well, <laughs> we'll get to that later. But anyway, uh, the dude, the dude tribes are, are given. Uh, Sarge chooses the Chad, Chris, Chad, Chris, John, Kenny, Julia, and Twyla, and they're Lopevi now. They're new Lopevi, and the new Yasser is Scout, 
with uh, Amy, Eliza, Leanne, Lisa, and Rory. So more men on Lepevi, more more women on Yasser, which is, I guess, more like the beginning of the game. And uh, they get a reward challenge, which is, um, oh, it was like they had to, to you know, ne- be along. Oh, they, this is the one where they had to, like, dive down. Dive, dive down. Downs. They had the markers at the different yeah. markers. Yeah close, and, yeah, close to 30 feet, I think. Like, pretty dang far down. Right. And then uh, they, it wasn't even, like, the most or you had to collect them all. It was basically they just had a ton of markers going all the way down to 30 or whatever feet, as Mike just said. And they had a time limit. It was basically the most, when the time ran out, was going to you know, win the reward. And you know this, this is classic Survivor Award, which, which I think is great, which is you're going to go to a cool spot, and they you know, are going to get beer and Pringles, which is, of course, a big plug. But like, it's, it's the whole Jeff Probst dick moment, where it's like, oh, you want some Pringles to, to sample? Here, take one for the tribe. <laughs> and then Colby's in the back like, we don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, so they start diving down. Uh, I don't remember much about this challenge other than super, Chris being super dramatic for no reason, yes. just to be exciting. And then Amy has the most dainty little way of going down a, a rope. Yeah, she goes down. Well, she goes down feet first. Yeah, she's like a little seahorse. Yeah, Sarge has a pretty dramatic moment too, where he like he comes up unsuccessful and he just starts screaming like, "It's unbearable, my ears!" <laughs> which, which I would totally get to be a problem, but. You know, it, it also is showing just proper technique for diving down, right? Like, you need to go kind of straight down and have your feet completely up in the air. Like, that's going to give you the best, you know, buoyancy going down and all that sort of stuff. And just seeing people sort of struggle with it was really interesting. Yeah, but so to basically kind of sum up the challenge, Chris initially loses the lead for LePevy by accidentally dropping one of the markers uh, at the bottom and they lose it. But he's able, they were able to catch up and then in the end basically comes down to Chris and Amy each diving down for the last marker. Like, time's basically up. Uh, Chris does his nice little moment where he comes up and he goes, that thing is deep. You know, pause of hesitation, dramatic tension. And I got it! And he hoists the tag up in the air. <laughs> and uh, Amy, unfortunately, comes up unsuccessful. So the new LaPevy tribe wins the first challenge after the switch. That's such a Chris moment. It's Everything's got to be about 20% more dramatic than it has to be. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if he was thinking of that as he was like coming up, like, what should I say? <laughs> yeah, also that, but the thing I noticed about Chris is Chris is a, he's not, a hand talker is not exactly the right term, but yeah. he's a finger talker. Like, yeah. you know, it's not just, as Mario has pointed out in the Funny One Fifteen that he, he verbally emphasizes words, perhaps in weird Shatner-esque ways, <laughs> but, you know, usually when he's, when he's emphasizing something, he's pointing. Yeah. And, and, and we're missing it because he's in the water and he's holding the, the mark or whatever. But, like, I needed Chris to point fingers at that thing, too, you know. That was deep, but I got it. <laughs> I wonder if he was ever involved in drama as a kid. I'm just curious. I, I would have to ask him at some point because normal people don't do that. He just gesticulates everything. And he's, he's very emphatic with his hands. Well, he's a, he's a NASCAR fan, right? So maybe he's just kind of developed a, a flair for the dramatic watching all the NASCAR the guy that waves the, waves the flag? Yeah, that's who he's trying to be? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so thanks to uh, Chris's heroics and his dramatics, Lopevi wins. And I have to say, in a lot of seasons where they mix up the tribes, it's confusing to talk about who's on which tribe afterwards. This season it's really easy because they don't change that much. It's still the guys versus the girls, basically. Right. It's, it's the guys versus the girls, and it's basically the guys' tribe, with Julie and Twyla that we'll yeah. get to know pretty well. And then, 
you know, and, and you get the nice shots because they're on the reward. So you get to see them, you know, they're, they're with beer, they're enjoying things. Twyla is super happy that she's around dudes. And there's a nice little bonding moment she has with Chris where they're talking about their time cards because, you know, she sort of works, mm-hmm. she sort of works for the highway system. And, you know, Chris sort of did too, or, or you know, just, you know, a, a blue collar, you know, sort of, uh, a job out there and it was just fun to see them bond over that moment. And it, it was nice to see everyone kind of do that. Yeah. This is definitely kind of Twyla's episode here where she, her personality starts to kind of emerge and she tells us how happy she is, you know, pounding beers with the guys now because she has no ability to relate to women. She has no, I mean, she had nothing to talk about with any of these girls on her tribes that maybe scout. And so she's so happy now she's in her element. So it's, you see this giggly, happy, you know, I just, I love everything about this side of Twyla, which is really cute because you're not going to see that a lot more after this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do get, we do get, you know, the shots of the Yasser tribe of, of this, you know, welcoming and Rory and, and Bubba, and you know, Rory's just like, well, we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I have to point out one other moment. I, I, I'm a big fan of pointing out that Julie was a really good player, as I said in part one of our podcast. But if you'll notice, when uh, Lopevi goes to the reward and they're looking at the waterfall, there's a really quick shot of Julie and Chris talking, and she's got her arm around his waist. Like, it's a very quick, I mean, uh, it's someone you just met for the first time, and she's already talking to him with her arm around him. It's just a very Julie way of kind of bonding with these guys. It's, and it comes up more later that she's kind of very flirty with the, around these men. But you, you notice it really quick in this episode when her arm is around Chris's waist. Yeah, I, I'll have more to say on Julie as we go. I agree with you that I think Julie in the annals of, you know, people, Survivor fans are some, 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 some fun people because they latch on to characters and sometimes we latch on to characters, Zoe, that don't really have a lot of real impact in the game. Right. And they're just like, you know, that's great. And, you know, some of them have a very Mia from Survivor Vanuatu reasoning with people. They were like, yeah, I know this person was really terrible at the game, but if they were better at the game, they would be one of the best players that ever played the game. And you're like, yeah, I guess that's true. That that's, that's what would happen. So, you know, there's, there's always kind of like, irrational love but i feel like not a lot of people talk about julie no. and julie is somebody no. that should be talked about because i wouldn't go so far as to say she's extremely good at the game but i think that she's very naturally dangerous this game and let's she also rem- yeah exactly. let's also remember the fact that like like we brought up in the last podcast every vote that she's gone to with her tribe she's ended up on the minority side yet she's still there and she's able to kind of claw her way into the majority and be able to guarantee yourself three more days just by kind of being herself. And I think the interesting thing about Julie is I know that the show kind of depicts her as flirtatious, but from what other survivors were saying about her, I feel like she was more of like the scrappy younger sister type. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know Chris brings it up in the final tribal council, but I feel like one of the reasons why everyone was able to really get along with Julie and, and form a really tight bond with Julie was because they, she kind of came off as more of like that, that kid sister than like this voluptuous woman. Yeah. Which makes her more dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Right, you don't realize what she's doing. Yeah. I mean, whether she, she's even trying to or not. She's, she's good looking, clearly, but like, she is relatable. You yeah, know, she's yeah. going gonna, gonna to come to you on your level, mm-hmm. no matter what it is. And that is so good. And it, it, is, it is such a skill that not a lot of people have. And she has it. Not only does she have it, she has it in spades. And what's funny, she's one of those survivors I've never heard another survivor say a bad thing about. Everyone loves Julie. It's an interesting thing. And I, I, I will even give you, 
a kind of a firsthand anecdote. I don't I don't go to a lot of Survivor events. I try to stay away from Survivors. But I went to a reality rally event a, a couple of years ago. And Julie was there. She was hanging out with Chris and Lori Doherty and stuff. And <clears throat> I'm sitting there talking to Chris. I'm talking to Lori. And Julie walks by. And Julie is so unbelievably beautiful in person that it's really not fair. Like, I, I wanted nothing to do with talking to her because, like many guys, like you are rendered speechless around someone that beautiful in real life. Like, it's just she has that effect if you just see her. And it's, it's an interesting effect. I've never seen another survivor quite have that effect that, like, guys all notice her in the room, but no one wants to go talk to her because she's that good looking. So uh, speaking of power players coming into her own, uh, so we have a nice little scene at Yasser with Amy where basically in, in amidst all the guys, showing the guys like, you know, all the little tricks and trades that Da had taught them the previous episode, Lisa's inner, you know, bubbling woo girl personality is like, all right, I'm going to show the guys how to crack open a coconut. And then we just see Amy like, why would you want to do that? Yeah. Yeah. If you're wondering where the rise of Amy as the ice princess starts, it starts about right here. Yeah, that, that line exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want to show the guys. This is so cool. Amy's like, why? They'll be gone in four days or six days. No. Yeah. It's just so, so flat the way she says it. It's kind of chilly. And that's the thing. A lot of people don't believe me when I say that Amy was, whether accurate or not, she was seen as this huge villain at the time. And whether, I mean, you could root for her as a villain or you could not root for her. She was still seen as kind of the, the cold-hearted villainess of the season. And it's little, just little moments like that, the way she delivers that line with no affect at all. It's just flat. No. Yeah. I mean, Amy is complex. You know, that, I think that's the best way to, to shake it up. And especially on a rewatch, you watch it. Because when you watch the season the first time, I remember coming out of the season just going, ah, Amy, she was so kind of cold. But she really isn't, right? Yeah. When, you, when you watch in there, you're like, she is probably one of the most you know, compassionate human beings that could quite possibly have played this game. She just has so much you know, feeling and empathy, but it's like she had a plan. She wanted to keep the Women's Alliance strong. And you know, not only did she just want to keep the Women's Alliance strong, I mean, that was her whole thing with Lisa. Lisa's like, it's cool. I want to show the guys. They're here. Let's show them the tricks. And Amy's like, I don't want to give them any sort of advantage or anything. Well, yeah, and, and Amy says it later that it's very important to her that they have a women's alliance that lasts all the way to the end of the game mm -hmm. because that had never happened in Survivor mm -hmm. history up to this point, which the more you know about Leanne and Amy, I'm sure that was more Leanne's. Leanne knew the history of the show probably better than Amy did. But, yeah, I mean, that's Amy's thing. She's not trying to be cold. This is just a goal she feels very strongly about. And the problem is she just has a very cold way of saying things sometimes. And this is a term that I've heard a lot on the Internet lately, a resting bitch face, where she just looks like she's meaner than she is. Because she kind of keeps her eyes open half, only halfway a lot of the time. She says a very, she looks very unapproachable just by looking at her in some of these episodes. Like you wouldn't want to mess with her, which I don't think is her intent. That's just kind of the way she, she, her resting face is. Fun, uh, slightly sexist fact. I learned the term butterface by uh, going on to Survivor Sucks when the cast photos first came out. And after seeing Amy's photo, everyone was posting about how she was a butterface. And uh, I had that very quickly explained to me. See, I don't think that's true. I don't think she's a butterface at all. I mean, I think she's cute. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a horrible term, the term butterface. And I'm, I'm glad that you were introduced to it. <laughs> I mean, many people are over the internet. But yeah, it's, I mean, there was a lot of stuff written about Amy at the time on the internet. She was, again, without question, the breakout character through the first half of Vanuatu before anybody could even dream that this might be the Chris season. Yeah, not only that, but even going back on a rewatch, even though she was the breakout character, and, you know, as much as I don't like people returning on, on 
you know, subsequent seasons of Survivor, she definitely deserved to come back for another season if we're talking in that way. Yeah. I still don't even feel that we understood the complexity of Amy at the time. You know, that's why I think that Survivor Vanuatu is such a good season to go back and rewatch is because Amy is an A-plus character it, in this game. And you, it's not even like Rupert where, like, you know, we all thought of Rupert as, you know, just, you know, the greatest thing ever And then you go back and you're like, I don't know why we thought of him as the greatest thing ever. You can go back and you can understand why we why Amy was shown as a villain. I'm not saying she was. I'm saying she was shown as a villain because she has these moments where she's Uh just, you know, very sociopathic, almost just about, you know, look, I'm not showing anything. We need to we need to just, you know, stomp on their neck until they're dead. And it's like what she's doing is she's trying to win. But there's so much around her that. You know, I think we just that sort of got lost and sort of, you know, us just thinking about the season as a whole. But Mm -hmm. she is so complex because, yeah, she has these moments, but she has so many moments where she's, you know, cheering people up and doing such great things around camp. Like she is truly one of the more complex characters, I think, that has come out of Survivor. Yeah. And again, I just have to point out again that nowadays anybody you ask about Vanuatu will say, oh, that's the Chris season. But for two months, I mean, this is eight episodes, maybe nine episodes, two whole months of Survivor, this was known as the Amy season. Absolutely. Yeah, it only becomes retroactive history where everyone calls it the Chris season, because it was most definitely not the Chris season up until his big breakout. Yeah, is the Amy season, and I guess to a lesser extent, you know, if you ask people that you remembered from the season, you remembered Amy, and you probably would say Eliza next. Yeah, I asked Rory, and he said it was the Rory season. And then he called you classless. <laughs> he did. <laughs> I'm a grown-ass man. <laughs> Why are you asking me that question? <laughs> I don't take too kindly to questions like that. <laughs> uh, speaking of t- not taking kindly to questions like that, which is a horrible segue because it has nothing to do, but I'm moving on. <laughs> <laughs> and now for something completely different. <laughs> speaking of World War II, here's episode nine. <laughs> Well, this is the whole point. This is, of course, you know, Bubba's shining moment. If, it, if it's not, you know, his, his strategically best moment, this is, you know, we, we got the camp life. We get to see some of this uh, interplay, but then we get to the immunity challenge, uh, which is our new, first new tribal immunity challenge. And we get to the mat and then the famous Bubba moment. <laughs> Bubba, yes. Clearly passing signs to the other tribe. Hey, Chris, remember the merge. Which is funny because I know we've got camera and microphones and stuff like that, but it didn't seem super subtle. But not everyone was paying attention. And so, like, I liked sort of the telephone that happens, not only in this episode, but even in subsequent episodes when people are talking about the Bubba incident. Because, like, it takes on sort of a new life. I mean, we see it very clearly. They get on the mat, and Bubba looks over at Chris and says, Chris, remember the merge? And he doesn't yell it, but he's not whispering it either. He just, (laughs) I mean, he just says it in sort of a normal audio, audible voice. Hey, Chris. Remember the merge? And Chris just sort of looks away. But I mean, in subsequent things, people are like, Bubba was making signs. Bubba was passing notes. Bubba pulled out a cell phone from 10 years in the future and like texted it to him. By the way, we should at least explain if people, we have a lot of listeners that might not be all familiar with Vanuatu and why that's a bad thing that Bubba is doing this. Bubba is basically saying, if they lose, they're going to vote me out. Please throw the challenge, Chris. That's what he's saying. Yes. Yes. Bubba is saying, remember the merge, because as we talked about, there are more men on the Pevy than there are in Yasser. And so a lot of times when there's a tribe shakeup, the initial response would be to vote out 
you know, the people that are in the minority of your tribe. So if you swap tribes and most of the people that you swapped with were on your alliance or your previous tribe, it's just easy. You vote out the people that are new, right? And in this season, men versus women, it's very easy to, to tell who was on what old tribe, even though, you know, most Survivor fans can totally tell. But Bubba is like, there's only me and Rory. If we lose the challenge, probably one of us two are leaving. Yes. And, and so he's he was saying to Chris, yeah. yep, saying to Chris, hey, Chris, remember the merge, meaning throw the damn challenge, which isn't a horrible thought, but, you know, we're not at that point of challenge throwing yet in Survivor. And yeah. somehow Amy catches him. Yeah, somehow. Yeah, somehow meaning she's not Helen Keller. <laughs> uh, if only if only Christy was on this season. <laughs> yes. He could have like told he could have told Chris's whole plan and she would just be standing there. <laughs> somehow I think though that with the way Bubba delivered it, Christy would catch him. <laughs> like it was not subtle. And what I find that's why I find it funny that later on like people don't have this whole Bubba thing straight because I'm like who didn't notice this? Yeah. So I think we can fast forward a little bit to say that Yasser loses and Bubba's in big trouble. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a canoe assembling thing. And, uh, well, one of them loses. And Jeff also does, you know, it's more modern. I don't even say Jeff Probst dick moment, but it's Jeff Probst modern survivor moment where after the challenge is over and LePevy has won, he turns to Yasser and says, well, Yasser had trouble untying knots and some of the worst paddling I've ever seen. Yes. You're going to go to trouble council. And they're like, that is unbelievably harsh, Jeff Probst. But, you know, pretty standard fare for Jeff Probst these days. Yeah. He loves those superlatives. All right. Anyway, so Yasser loses. They go back to camp. Bubba's in big trouble. Amy calls him out. She's like, you were communicating with the other team. You're still teamed up with them. And Bubba's like, what? What? How dare you make these accusations of me? In any way, uh, in any like I, I don't even have like a be- good story, but like he's trying to rationalize it somehow. Like, no, I was telling him. Remember the merge? Like, you know, we're gonna have like a couple of days and votes out, and then there will be a merge down the line. Like, remember that Survivor is set up that there will be a merge in the future. Yeah. <laughs> remember, there's tribal council. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, Bubba's voted out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's in, there, there's what, there's a little bit of like you know set up. Or like, there's a little bit of like tension with Eliza being like, I don't want to get rid of a guy. We should kick a girl off. But basically, it's pretty, it's pretty self-explanatory uh, that one, at least that one of the two guys is going to go. But they're shifting towards Bubba because of the comment that he's made. Well, Amy, Amy has the real good quote there where she says, "You don't have to vote people out; they'll vote themselves out." And she's like, "Would Michael Jordan do that? Would he whisper to the other team what the plays are?" Which I mean, I don't know if they would have voted out anyway, uh, Bubba out anyway, or if, or if they were going to go for Rory. But yeah, it's pretty clear that he uh, makes the Christy Smith Hall of Fame for voting himself out of the game very easily. Yeah, I mean, there are times like with Dolly in episode two where she commits a big survivor faux pas. You don't admit that you are the swing vote if you are the swing vote. But that's not one where you voted your. I mean, she did vote herself out, but that's a little more complicated, and you kind of have to know the game in order to you know, see that sort of coming. But this is literally like you have just committed a huge boner (laughs) that everyone saw, you know, it's like Christy with, with the thing. It was like this, this is as cut and dry of of a vote out as you can get. Well, yeah, it kills me when he goes to tribal council and they bring it up and Bubba looks shocked. The look of shock on his face, like what? And anyway, although I have to point out that Bubba's defense at tribal council wasn't that he was passing signals, signals to Chris, it was that Chris was passing signals to him, which is in no way better. Yeah. Yeah, we're still working together, but he was giving me messages, so it's okay. 
Don't you understand? I'm the innocent one. <laughs> yeah, I'm the pawn. I'm the swing vote. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, I wrote about that. That got its own very funny 115 entry. And I have to say, that's an entry a lot of people don't like. Because it's not as funny in person as, it, as I made it sound in the write-up. But to me, the funny, the humor in it isn't, you know, the, the, just the whole circumstances. I just love Bubba's reaction, the, his reaction face at Tribal Council when Amy calls him out on it. That's, that's why I gave him an entry, just because that one look on his face. What? It's tough because in this game you have to, I mean, you have to be deceitful. I mean, everyone's always like, I'm going to go in the game and lie. It's like you don't have to be go in the game and make outright lies or anything like that. But, you know, you do have to play things off. And the problem is, is that Bubba got caught here. He literally, he made a stupid move and it wasn't subtle and he got caught. And he just was trying to play it off, which, you know, 90% of us would try to do. Like, I don't think he's trying, he's doing anything like even stupider here it's just the problem is is that he was totally caught and nailed and so all of his attempts to sort of shrug it off are just sort of comical because it was like well dude not gonna work now in honor of bubba's price is right his bob barker shirt i think this is where we should play the failure music from price is right all right so hopefully we got it in there if not blame our editor he's a he's a fool if not, uh, let's put in a clip of Bob Barker and Billy Madison saying, or Adam Sandler saying, the price is wrong, bitch. The price is wrong, bitch. Oh, I was thinking about having your pet spayed or neutered. Bob Barker reminding you, help control the pet population. Have your pet spayed or neutered. Goodbye, everybody. All right, so... Uh, no, I was really thinking that you should get your pet spayed or neutered. I was just thinking that, too. It's really, it's no laughing matter. Yeah. Chris, yeah. think of your pets. <laughs> All right, so speaking of the Battle of Gettysburg, now we go to episode six. <laughs> uh, well, right. the, episode six is the, n- now we're, we're switching stories in this whole thing. Like not, now, you know, we're seeing, you know, all these sort of little subtle characters. But I think that for the next couple episodes, our main character is going to be none other than Rory. Yeah, Hell Rory yeah. is. Yeah, so basically. Um, Amy, and it's alluded to in the previously on, Amy kind of just flippantly says at the previous tribal council that, whether it's true or not, I'm not sure, but she said that had Bubba not done, had his faux pas, Rory would be the target. And Rory is not very happy that, uh, that apparently he was the initial target for the vote-off. Yes, he, he, he thought it lacked class. This is where he's going to become an angry brother. <laughs> and he, this is when the slave analogies begin. <laughs> yeah. Rory, very liberal with the slave tech terminology. But what I love about this is that he does this and then he's looking at the camera going, I am totally just playing this up, which yeah. actually is very endearing. And I think that that was why people sort of love Rory and why I love Rory as a character to this day. Because when you start the, sh- the, the show, you can tell that he's a smart guy and he's, you know, sort of all of these, you know, good qualities, but he's just, he just rubs people the wrong way. Cause you know, he's going to speak his mind and he's going to do what he wants to do, you know, at his own pace. And, you know, he, he sort of has that, that way about him. And, and then right now he's going to do this thing and he's like, well, you know what? I'm on my way out. I'm going to just try to guilt him. Let's see what I can do. Yeah. It's a good yeah, it's, move. It's an interesting, he's kind of aiming to be like the bad boy that everyone disapproves of at first, but then he gets welcomed back into the fold. Yes. Right. So like as an audience member at the beginning, you probably aren't liking Rory too much because he's sort of abrasive. And, you know, as a show and as a as a survivor watcher and a fan, you're sort of conditioned not to like the people that aren't gelling with the rest of the tribe. That's just sort of, 
you sort of have that, you know, stick with the tribe or, you know, the core of the tribe mentality. But it's like now Rory's on the outs on this tribe. And, you know, usually people, especially on gender seasons, the majority of the survivor audience will identify and root for the women rather than the men. That's usually, you know, an underdog thing plus demographics. But like Rory is now on the, on the outs in his tribe and he is like the ultimate underdog over there on New Yasser. And, you know, he, he's basically like, I'm going to see what I can do. And I think that the audience, you sort of appreciate that he's, he's going to go down fighting and he's telling us that that's what he's going to do. Yeah. One and of again, the things that, oh, go ahead. I was just going to, this is when he brings up auction block. Yes. The one <laughs> thing I will say that I actually really love about this season is that I feel like all in historical perspective, we came from a season all stars where whether it was because of financial reasons or anything, we had a lot of people not necessarily playing in their best self-interest. You had, you know, things like Jenna Lewis not forcing a tie at the final four or Alicia and, and Big Tom not flipping with Shean and Kathy and all them. Uh, I feel like this season is full of a lot of people who are thinking about their own game and making decisions based on their own game. We, we saw it with the Eliza and Lisa flips in episodes two and three. And now we kind of see it with Rory as well. I mean, Rory is not going to be this person who just kind of plays calmly and backs down. He's playing in the best interest of his own game. So he's going to say, let me... Let me find my own way. Let me find my little crack and let me find my, uh, my own way into this alliance. So that's another thing that I really love about the season is that people are making decisions based on their own best interest, not necessarily like, okay, I need to stick with this alliance so I can just make it three days further. And of course, we get another scout comment where Rory is sitting on his pity pot and wiping his ass. Yeah, he needs to wipe his ass and get, get, get it back to work or whatever. Or- <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah, so this is the Rory story. Um, yeah, the auction block, I, again, I pointed that out because, you know, naturally it's chopping block. That's the term in Survivor. Rory decides to racialize a little bit and go auction block, which is a wonderful slave term. Thank you, Rory. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So basically, of, you know, we get a nice scene over We get a nice scene over at LePevy where they're like, you know, did they get rid of Bubba? Did they get rid of Eliza because Eliza can't speak? And, you know, they're, they're doing all these things. And you can just tell that they, no one really has a pulse of everything that's going on. But then you get the tree mail that talks about the, uh, the next challenge and it, it's alluding to pigs and a pen and stuff like that. And then it, what's great about this is that before they go to the challenge, Rory's going to sit down and have a talk. <laughs> yep. This is, this is a big, like bad boy turned softy moment. You know, he apologizes for being angry and extraordinarily hurtful. Yeah. apparently, towards the women. For what Y'all's, he said in his head. Yeah, Y'all's side is my side. But I will not continue to slave around camp if I don't have a shot to get through tribal council. Uh, and, you know, he uses the word slave in there. And <laughs> yeah. he just, he, you know, and he says, he's like, look, we're going to go to that challenge and they're going to see Bubba gone. And the, you know what the men are going to think? They're going to think, I sold Bubba out. I can't go back. And, like, any rational player is probably looking at that going... Or they can think that the women had a numbers advantage. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> but you know what? A, yeah. But what I love about the scene, the, the thing I love is that it's the speech, and then immediately after the speech is given, you get a confessional from Rory where he's like giggling into the camera, yeah. and he's like, that was the cheesiest speech I could ever think. I couldn't even believe the words that were coming out of my mouth. <laughs> yes. And I don't know if they bought it, but you know what? I said it. <laughs> they all think I'm an angry brother. <laughs> And that's right, what I so love about it. That's what I love about it is that he's just like, I am not going to do anything unless I know I got a fair shot. And we didn't really see them going, you've got a fair shot. But, yeah. you know, I think it was message heard. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it, it also doesn't hurt that he's a, 
huge workhorse around camp, and as we'll see, he becomes like absolutely essential for these challenges. He's basically doing the Chris Doherty strategy a couple episodes early, where you make women think with their hearts. Then they open up that back door. Right, and, and actually, this is going to be into the bigger metagame a little bit later this, this episode. But let's do a reward challenge first, which is um, it's for steak and eggs. They get big steak and, and, and some eggs to cook up, which is it's weird, but yet a, good, a great old-fashioned reward. And uh, this is the you know, catch pigs. Yeah, Although, and, you skipped over one great confessional right before that where Sarge mentions that now that Julie is around camp, his dreams are starting to get, to get more elaborate. Which is basically the challenge, or is that it's before the challenge? Before the challenge, that's basically the first confessional in Survivor history that's talking about a wet dream. So there you go, it's Survivor history. And he's like, "My dreams are getting more elaborate." And Julie's like, "Do you want to share your dreams?" And Sarge's like, "Not around you." (laughs) And what I I love is that enough of that, Julie. Not not only not only does he say that, and it's super uncomfy, but you see the camera angle look, and you can see Julie just turn her face like with the like, oh, he just said that to me, like she totally knows. Yeah. Okay, into the channel. I just wanted to point that out. That's the first of many Julie and Sarge sex comments. Yep. So speaking of porking, uh, <laughs> hey, that segue made sense. How dare oh, you? Right, never mind. Speaking of the Bay of Pigs, uh, <laughs> hey, that's pigs too. Damn it. Ah, I'm no good at these non-sequiturs. So anyway, there's a reward challenge. Yeah, a reward challenge, which they had to collect pigs. And, um, you know, it, 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 this, this, this is fun stuff. But, you know, as the challenge goes, they, they were basically pigs with different colored bandanas or painted whatever on their backs or whatever it was. And basically, you had to one at a time go out there and basically catch a pig in this muddy pig pen and bring it back through a gate, and you had to collect a certain number, and there was a gatekeeper to you know, keep the gate closed at all times to make sure that the pigs didn't escape, uh, which the pigs seemed pretty good and didn't. But uh, Scout was elected gatekeeper for Yasser, and I forget who was it for Lepevi. It doesn't matter. Uh, I think it was Julie. Yeah, Julie. So basically, we just get them collecting pigs, which is actually very fun visually. It's a fun challenge to watch. It's not really fun for us to narrate in any way. Um, Lepevi wins. Other yep. than to say that my, one of my favorite sounds in nature is pigs just randomly squealing and screaming for no reason. Yeah, if you like pigs <laughs> squealing, this season of Survivor is for you because it's going to happen a lot. Yeah, and the movie Deliverance, you're going to love that one. That Deliverance is, is very good for squealing like a pig. Absolutely. But anyway, and, uh, we, we can yeah, see... Yeah, Liza it. blows this challenge for them, doesn't, he? doesn't she? Yeah, she's terrible because she's a little prissy girl who doesn't want to get dirty. Well, she's Twilight. a Jew. She doesn't eat the ham. Yeah, I, th- I knew you were going to go for that. We'll let the Jew go for the Jew joke. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say yeah. she loses it, but she doesn't help. Well, this is one of those that Eliza complains later. Like, you know, in a normal tribe, I would be able to be the gatekeeper, but because we have Scout with her bionic leg, she has to be the gatekeeper. So, again, this is another one of those challenges where Eliza says, Look, any other tribe in Survivor history, I could have been the gatekeeper and I wouldn't have cost us. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's the shot afterwards because Lepebi wins. And, you know, we get we get shots of them cooking up steaks and just, you know, and Sarge says this is better than sex. And, you know, uh, one of the women or someone's like, the man's delusional, which he is says, great. Ra- he says, raise the dog on roof. So raise to bring do- that phrase, back, that phrase back again. Yo, raise dog on roof, you know, but we get them eating steaks, which I think totally um, helped in the next challenge but we'll get there when we get there but we get the shot back at yasser and you know i always love it's it's a very very subtle thing but look for it folks when you're watching this episode and it's the little scout comments 
right after they come back from a challenge. And it's either win or lose, but a lot of times it's when they lose. And like Scott will just say something like, well, that was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, little one, why don't you put your head in an oven? Yeah. (laughs) You know, not even super passive aggressive toward Eliza, although sometimes it happens, but it's just always like, you know, like sometimes people come back and they're shaking their heads and like, that sucked, or, you know, I can't believe we lost, or something like that. And Scott was just like, wasn't that a nice outing? (laughs) Just once, just once, I'd like to see your scout just scream, motherfucker, when she comes back. (laughs) So anyway, she comes back with a, that was fun, and then they go, I mean, Eliza took it hard because she didn't do well on the challenge, and she apologizes, and everyone's just like, you know, what's what's great is you get the whole woo girl thing, because like, Eliza comes back and is like, I'm sorry again, I I couldn't catch a pig, and you see Lisa going like, no, it's okay, it's okay, man, it's it's all right, Eliza, and then the immediate confessional from Lisa that's going, we lost today, and it's Eliza's fault. <laughs> yeah. Is this where Rory first mentions his little fisher? Yep. Yeah, yeah, right here. Because now this is where Operation Sabotage Eliza starts, right? Because Eliza's so worthless that he's going to set her up as just being horrible. And he's like, I've been looking for my little crack. I finally found my little fisher. Well, it's like, I need to find a crack, and then I need to turn the crack into a fisher. <laughs> and, then, and then just cuts to Rory saying, I think I just found my, t- my little tiny crack. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> which is which is this thing? But it, there's a nice scene again. It's it's the whole complexity of Amy. There's that scene when they're on the beach and they're they're cutting some, they're cutting plantains up or, or doing uh, some some bit of uh, camp work. And Eliza is basically crying because she's doing so poorly. And you know she sort of lets in the whole fact. I mean, to get cast on Survivor in the first place, like we have fun with the people that that get cast on Survivor. But it's like in order to get cast on Survivor, especially these earlier seasons and not, you know, not so recruit heavy and model from LA heavy is that, you know, you have to be extremely dynamic and usually very successful. And so you see that, that scene where Eliza is crying and she's like, I'm usually, I'm not used to sucking at something, you know? And I think that's a very real response with a lot of people that go on Survivor. She's like, I'm not used to being bad at something. And she was saying I was bad at catching a pig and, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. And you could see Amy cheering her up and, you know, empathizing with her and talking through it. And, you know, Amy even brings up a good point because Eliza's like, look, you know, why couldn't I be gatekeeper? And it was the whole thing that Mario's talking about, about like, because they have Scout, nobody can sit things out because Scout always has to be the one to sit out or do the not, the, the very passive thing and challenges. But then Eliza's like, because you know what? I don't even think if I was on a full stomach, I could catch a pig. And Amy's like, that's loser talk. You just, you know, got to go in there with the attitude of, I'm going to go out there and catch a pig, and, and it's going to be what I'm going to do. Yep. I, I, thought, uh, I thought they picked Scout for Gatekeeper because she was the biggest Ghostbusters fan. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure she's a huge man. Ghostbusters fan. That's <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, All right, so we got that little drama back at Yasser, going back over to Lopevi, and this is where Julie and Twyla are really uh, doing their move here to get in good with the Men's Alliance, and they both do it in different ways. Twyla, through her hardworking nature, is bonding with the older men, and Julie is sunbathing naked in front of the younger men. So it, it's win-win for both of them. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a, again, Sarge just like kills it with these confessionals when he talks about like you know he could, he's talking about how his new kinsmanship with Twyla, and he talks about how he uh, you know, I could drink a beer or go to a race with Twyla. I'd also put a dress on her and go to dinner with Twyla because yeah. she's a lady. Yeah. <laughs> Although he would go out with Julie first and then twice. Yeah. I'd put a dress on her. That's like the best <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> I just imagine them like going to a race and Sarge being like, all right, put on this dress. We're going to dinner. 
<laughs> but Sarge, I don't want to put on a dress. You're putting on this dress. You are messing this date up. <laughs> That's good. Uh, well done. Yeah, but it, it's true because because Twyla is, you know, I think Twyla was really bonding with the with the men out there. I think that she really did form some genuine bonds with the men out there because, as she has stated previously. She identifies and, and, you know, usually hangs out with and, and, you know, pals around with with guys as opposed to girls. So she was just in her element out there. And Julie was looking at this as an I'm kind of in trouble. And what's funny is it's, it's like what you mentioned, Mario. Julie was exceptionally skillful in the sense that she was able to latch on to multiple things because, yes, she was on the uh, on the original girls tribe, but she was on that. Uh, you know, in in the camp of Mia and, and whatnot, that that basically loses out, right? Yep. Then she gets flipped over to Lepevi, where she's in the minority because there are less women on this tribe than there are men, and she's like, "Well, now I need to figure this out." And you know, yep. she's always sort of having to constantly figure things out and get in with people, and she manages to successfully do it every time. She does. She does a great job. I mean, they. To the point later down the road, they, they are totally going to trust that she's going to vote with them at the merge, despite the fact that all her friends are on the other tribe. It's just she's got a way of just getting people to think that they're on her side. It's pretty fan, pretty amazing. And then, of course, she just, as Sarge pointed out, she was over there sunbathing her buttocks region. She was over there sunbathing her buttocks region. And I mean, yeah. you know, I, I'm cool with it, though, because I've been to Europe. Yeah, I would take a dress off that one and take her to Europe. <laughs> I love uh, that. We, also, we also have the very significant uh, Final Four deal that Sarge offers to Twilight as well, which will come up again in the yes. in the next couple of episodes. But uh, this is very, very significant because, uh, again, I, I feel like the next few episodes are like kind of mainly focused on Rory with little bits of Eliza. But I feel like this is a big Twyla uh, series of episodes as well, just because we finally start to see Twyla get strategic. Yeah. yeah, and this is a big move. I mean, this is a real alliance that was totally, I think, sincere. Yes, I don't think that this was uh, Twyla playing the men. Uh, you know, I, I think that you know basically this was formed that it was going to be Sarge, Chad, Chris, and Twyla in the end because Sarge didn't like Rory anyway. Yeah. So he was like, "Look, you know, screw, screw it. Rory's out. You're in. You can do a four spot." And what's funny is that this sort of dates Survivor a little bit to the sense that you know nowadays if you go into Survivor and you go to somebody on the beach and you say. Hey man, I'm forming an alliance and I'd like you to be the fourth. You're done. Like yeah. people now know, like people have, have watched this show enough and are skilled enough at this game to basically say you need to offer them the final three or two deal or you know, basically to the end. But here Sarge is like, you're the fourth now. Like that was good enough because Twyla was like, Well, it's not where I was previously. That's fantastic, you know, and you know, you work it out from there, but just the fact that he was offering her a four spot and she was like very genuinely happy about it sort of dates the show a bit. But nonetheless, this is a final four deal. And like you said, Mario, I think this is legit. I think Twyla's totally on board with this. Yeah, and I don't even know if it's strategy. I think it's just Twyla finally found a friend. It's one yeah. of those things where she's been so lonely and isolated and now she has friends. So I don't even know if this is strategic. This is just she's bonding with the people she likes that like her. Right. She does say, though, and, and, and it shows her aptitude at the game, because I think Twyla is also a pretty good player at Survivor, is that she does say to the camera, she's like, he may be full of shit. I don't know. Yeah. But I yeah. said yes. And that's the whole other thing. Again, it's the Survivor 101, how to play Survivor. If someone comes up to you and offers you a deal, you say yes, even if you don't really mean yes. Yep. And now we go to the immunity challenge. Mm-hmm. This, one, uh, this one seemed pretty arduous. Basically, uh, everyone 
has each has two little buoys that are eventually tiki puzzle puzzle pieces, and they have to go through this whole entire water obstacle course with the buoy pieces. You know, up through a wall, down underwater through a couple of obstacles. And I feel like this was, you know, we say a lot about Modern Survivor uh, do- donates the lion's share of its time to the challenges and makes sure to have, you know, at least seven to ten minutes dedicated to each challenge. I feel like Vanuatu is one of the first seasons where the challenge is like a big focus of airtime. This challenge specifically, I remember even rewatching it now, it took a long, long time to get done with this challenge just because of how long it was. This is an arduous one. It's brutal. Yeah, I kind of fast-forwarded it through a little, although I remember just Leanne having a particularly hard time, right? She's the one that struggles. Yeah, she yeah. does. And she basically cost them, yeah. Yeah, she cost them the challenge, but I mean, that challenge was brutal. Like, the first two people to go were Chris for Lepevi, and it was um, Amy for Yasser. And, you know, it, that obstacle course i don't know what it was in real time but i mean i would i would be willing to bet that it was upwards of 10 minutes you know possibly getting closer to 15 or 20 for one person to navigate that the tiki pieces through the challenge i mean it was long and it was brutal because it's a lot of swimming and then you have to kind of dive underwater and then even when you're out of the water you have to get the tiki pieces onto a platform and then navigate it through this little kind of rope maze sort of sort of deal which is a theme in a lot of Vanuatu challenges I actually really enjoyed the challenge just for the fact that I liked the setup of it but I freely admit that there was a lot of time spent to it and it was brutal and poor Leanne just gave up halfway through she couldn't do it mm-hmm. yeah she got uh, they got she got lapped I mean Lepevi solved their puzzle um, and got and finished the challenge before even Eliza was able to get in the water yeah I also question you know Think, things that never play out, but the fact that, you know, Eliza has been notoriously bad in challenges, which will take a change a little bit later, but, like, Liza has been notoriously bad, and it was like, you're going to have her be the anchor leg for your tribe? <laughs> but yep. nonetheless. All right, so Yasser loses again. Uh, they are struggling right now at the moment. They go back to camp, and this is where we get a particularly interesting scene in Survivor history, and one that is unfairly kind of been forgotten. You'd, most A lot of people don't remember this scene, and it's very, kind of an important one. Ah, the Lisa scene. Yeah, it's a really interesting yeah. way. It's, the way I would describe it is you go from one of the most deserved boots of all time in Bubba to immediately flip to this episode where I don't think Lisa deserved to be booted at all. It just the, 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 the discrepancy between those two episodes is kind of interesting to me. Right, but I think that some of this is Rory's speech and things like that. Like, obviously, Rory is not part of this woman's alliance. And what's funny is that he's like, he brags about it later on and he brags about it in, you know, early in the next episode where he's like, I have cracked, you know, the women's alliance. And it's like he did no such thing. But because he laid his, all his cards out on the table, he's like, look, this is where I stand. This is what I am. This is all I'm asking for. Like he's transparent at this point. Yeah. Amy and Leanne and, you know, they know they have him dead to rights and they know where his cards are being played. So with that out of the way that allows room for them to think about other people. And it's like Amy, who's sort of in charge, or at least is in a very big power position in this tribe, gets a bad feeling about things Lisa's doing. And it's like she has the opportunity here to get Lisa out, and she does. Yeah, and for people who haven't watched it in a while, what happens is Amy's going to go get some manioc. She's the one that normally hunts for manioc every day. Lisa says, oh, I'd like to come too. Amy goes, no, I'm fine. I'll, I'll get it. And Lisa goes, no, I'd just like to know where it is just in case, you know, and, you know, the dot, dot, dot after that sentence is just in case you're not here sometime, which 
you could take to mean she's doing something else or she's been voted out of the game. Amy immediately thinks, oh, in case I've been voted out of the game, well, that's interesting you would say that. And so it just starts a huge down, downward spiral for Lisa, which Lisa clearly didn't see coming. Yeah, though it, though it is important to note that, again, uh, Scout is going after Eliza. Uh, I feel like we're going to get in, every, in almost every episode after this, Scout is always going to go to somebody asking to get rid of Eliza, which again goes back to what you, we talked about last time of Scout apparently like mercilessly bashing Eliza every chance she got at camp. Um, and then yeah. Amy does a rather, you know, braggadocio thing of like suggesting about getting rid of Lisa right in front of Lisa as they're talking. <laughs> it's a classic Russell Hans move right there. That was, it's ballsy. Like, and, and it, it shows you just the amount of confidence that Amy has and the, and the power she has. You know, again, Chris has, has gone on record and said that, you know, Leanne was calling the shots. And I think that there is some truth to that. There is, there, there is clips that show that Leanne probably was the go-to person, but I don't know if it was necessarily Leanne was calling the shots, but she was sort of the, the sane head that would kind of nod off on deals. She's the brains. Yeah. But like Amy is emotionally running the show right now. And it's like, she didn't like what was going on. And she just flat out tells Lisa. And it's like, I think that one of the reasons people don't like the season is that there is a lot of, I think that there is a lot of negativity. is not the right word, but there is a lot of confrontation in this season. Mm-hmm. And people don't necessarily like it when people are so confrontational. They like a lot of the deception and the, you know, the sort of people trying to figure out strategic stuff. And it's like, Amy doesn't want someone to go home. She's like, I don't like you. You're going to go home right to your face. Yeah. Well, and also, as Amy said, no women's alliance had ever held together. So I think a lot of people were kind of rooting for that. And it must be kind of disheartening if you really want to see that happen in Survivor. And all you get, starting from here through the second half of the season, is the women turning on each other and confronting each other. It's like, stop doing that. If you would work together, maybe you could have got to the end. Well, it... What's funny is that it, that's a very weird thing to say, you know, no woman's alliance has stuck to the end. And, you know, you, you can make the argument, okay, so let's look at men's alliances. But I guess the one we think about is like Lex, Tom, and Ethan. Yeah. Which did happened. survive to the end. But, like, that's a three person alliance. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think of that as like some big bad male alliance, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what's funny is that when you look, even, even going past Vanuatu, like going, you know, further on, you know, th- there have been alliances that are primarily men, like the Four Horsemen. There are, you know, alliances that are primarily women. But I always find that the primarily women alliances, like in Micronesia and One World, n- show that they do better than all male alliances for the most part. So it's just an interesting comment that she kept being fixated on it. Mm-hmm. So because I don't necessarily agree with it, you know, no, because I'm like, OK, no woman alliances made it all the way to the end. That's fair. I don't really think that a lot of all male alliances have made yeah. it to the end together too. So I, I think that you're arguing a moot point, but that was what kept Amy going. That was what she was thinking about. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the problem is, is that she needed to not get rid of Lisa here. As yeah. annoying as Lisa yeah. is, the fact that they vote Lisa out and not Rory out here, it, it's, it's going to cause problems down the line, ultimately down the line, because Chris is that he's in the, he's in the position where he is partially due to his mistakes, but partially here, this is an Amy mistake because it's like if they get rid of Rory here, there's even less men at the merge and probably Yasser, you know, things go on. And it's like Chris may not be in the position he's in down the road. 
And to be fair, I don't think the Amy and Lisa thing happens if they don't already mistrust each other. Oh, I'm sure. guessing they've yeah. already had incidents. And I mean, I don't know this. I'm just guessing that it's possible. Kind of Leanne is kind of like the, the brains of the tribe. Amy's her number two. Maybe there's something like Lisa always wanted to be the number two. And Amy and Lisa have always kind of been butting heads for that role. I mean, that's just a guess. But who knows? It could have been anything like that. Well, Mike- let's, also, you know, let's also remember that the fact that like before the switch, they were kind of on opposite alliances. I mean, Lisa had voted with Amy's alliance, but it was kind of like an Eliza situation in that, like, it seemed like a one-time thing. I don't think Lisa was really, like, sworn to them to begin with. They were kind of always on opposite sides from the beginning. Right. And Mike brings up just an excellent point, is that, you know, the, the girls, they work together, and they work together for some crucial votes right near the merge. But at the same time, what's funny is that they talk about how, you know, they need to kind of cut down some numbers or maybe thinking about voting out a woman and stuff like that. And what's funny is that, you know, they're like, maybe we need to think about voting out a woman. And Scout goes, well, I think we need to vote out Eliza. And then you talk to <laughs> Eliza and Eliza's like, yeah, but what about Scout, though? <laughs> you know, and then Amy wants to vote out Lisa. It's like there's not a consensus. And, you know, Mike brings up the excellent point that, like, Scout will not get off the let's vote for Eliza. And she says it every freaking time, right? <laughs> And it's like this. This it's not. It, this is a theme. This is just a thing that's happening. Like there is not just divisions, but there are very arduous divisions where, like, not only just oh, I don't like that person. It's I need to get this person out. One thing that's really interesting, and it struck me when I was watching this last time, is that everyone at the time assumed that Scout was probably the leader of the Yasters. I mean, Amy kind of got the villainous edit. Everyone, she was the big character, but everyone assumed Scout was the most respected and called a lot of the shots. In fact, she was the, you know, the, the chief. She was the leader in that. But if you watch these episodes, Scout has almost no power over anything ever. She's it's no really pull. kind of interesting. No. Yeah, she's not even close to the leadership role of that tribe. It's just interesting the more you look at it. Well, it sets up, I mean, obviously, if you think about it, it sets up the fact that, you know, Scout and Twyla are fringe people in that alliance, right? Yeah. And so that causes them, you know, to, to go things different down the line. But it's like, yeah, she, right now, Scout's like, hey, let's get rid of Eliza. And Eliza's like, I really don't like Scout. And, you know, you know, Eliza also doesn't want to get rid of more men because they're going to lose these challenges. But basically right here, the little crack, the little fissure is not Rory breaking the women's alliance. It's that Amy now, she knows where Rory stands, but she doesn't know where Lisa stands. Yeah. And I will say as an audience, I, I think Lisa's the one character I don't really know where she stood in this alliance or in this season. It's if I ever, if there was ever a good interview with Lisa, I'd like to hear it because she's the one person I don't really know where she fits in this season. Yeah, see, we, we we don't we really don't see a lot of her point of view on a lot of things. The only her big episode, I mean, her big quote unquote episode aside from this one is episode three. But because of the double tribal council, we only get like literally one confessional of her saying like I have a backup plan. But it seems like in a cast that's full of a lot of fleshed out people, she kind of gets the shaft in that regard. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's skip ahead here. We got a lot to talk about. Let's. Um, so Lisa, of course, is furious that she's a target for no reason, and I mean, from her viewpoint, she did nothing wrong. And all of a sudden, if Amy wants you gone, you're going to be gone. That's just kind of the way it goes. And we go to tribal council, and this is where Rory, of course, gives his great quota: "The rat has found a crack, and the crack has become a fissure. I have broken it." <laughs> and then in, and, in, a, in an interesting vote, you know, you'd expect there's a lot up in the air, but. Uh, Lisa ends up voting for Rory, uh, which, again, is another sign that Amy kind of made a mistake because Lisa was indeed staying loyal. And then, interestingly enough, Scout also votes for Rory to mm-hmm. support her alliance and because she, uh, she says she cherishes Lisa and she can't write her name down. Yep. And that's interesting. Again, this is the first 
instance, this will become very important later, where Scout is the one person who will kind of stand up to Amy. And this, of course, becomes very important later. But this is the first moment where Scout will just kind of do her own thing. Yeah, and it should have been a it should have tipped people off, right? Uh-huh. But I think that Amy at this point was just, you know, it, it's always tough. I'm not saying she had blinders on. I and obviously I don't know what what was going on out there. But Amy had a firm grip on a lot of things. But I think that she was very passionate toward a cause, and the, and the cause being not only her advancement in the game, mm-hmm. but just the fact of keeping all the women together, right? And, you know, when, when, they, when they have to get together at crucial times, like, you know, with the merge vote and stuff like that, they did stick together and go. But I think that she, and to a lesser extent Leanne, or, or maybe Leanne, we don't really get her emotions as much. But I think they were like, well, everyone is just as passionate about this as we are. Yeah. And it's like, you can tell, like with Scout throwing a vote, you know, a, you know not with Amy, that, you know, they're not all on the same page. Not everybody is happy. Not everybody is is dedicated to this same passionate cause yeah. and that should be a red flag and yet at the same time it wasn't so anyway we lose lisa in what was a particularly interesting episode and in my opinion the best of the first uh how many episodes are we in in my opinion the best of the first six episodes and they're only going to get better i think from here that's the one that really stands out this lisa one is being people were talking about it at the time yeah mainly because you know amy's starting to emerge yeah, you know, we get a Rory centric episode, and I mean, I think Rory is, you know, underrated in, in just the the sense of not only his importance to the season, but just he's a fun character, and we got a lot of Rory time, and that's good. Mm-hmm. And he's got one big fisher. <laughs> Down his crack. Yeah. All right. So the next episode we are going to go into is the "Let's Everybody Shit on John K." episode. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> what it starts off on. Is basically. Everyone's doing, I think, I forget who gives a confessional, but basically, I think it's Chris saying, like, no, everyone's doing their fair share of work, but John. Right, and then you get a Chad confessional, which is great, where he's like, I don't understand how someone can sit there while the rest, everyone else is working and just be fine with it, you know? Like, you know, you could see, like, Chad coming in with firewood and people with firewood, and John Kenny's just sitting around by the fire, just, you know, yawning and looking at everyone, bringing (laughs) food in. And Chris is like, I will not let that guy coast through the game. He's someone that's just going to coast through the game, and I will not let it. All right, I'm trying to skip through. This is an episode I think we can skim through fast because we got a lot to get to later. I'm just kind of going through my notes here. This uh, is where Amy. This is where Amy first mentioned that no women's alliance has ever made it to the end in Survivor, and that's yeah. what's driving them. They want to be able to say they were the first. Yeah, basically, uh, in the aftermath of the Lisa vote, Rory's next game move is now that he's found his fisher, he's going to try to get in tight with Leanne and Amy, but they. Uh, they don't really bite on that on that fishing line. So then Rory decides to do his uh, his salt the earth policy. <laughs> right. Yes. I I do love this scene. I mean, I know that you're trying to skim through it, but I do want to say I do love this scene where Rory is talking to Leanne and Amy. And just because the look on his face. Well, yeah, like, he's just he's trying to talk to him, and they're you know he's just basically like, look, you know, I'm with you guys. I am now your 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 lackey. You know, tell me what's going on. We'll we'll all be in this together. And you know, Leanne's just like, well, unfortunately for you, Rory, it's a woman's alliance, and you not being in that excludes you from it. Yep. And then what did Amy say? Like, what about the guys back home? What are the guys back home going to say if if you teamed up with the women? And he's like, well, well, what are you talking about? I don't give a fuck about Sarge. I don't give a fuck about Chad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, like in in a weird way, like again. Amy is trying to keep the women's alliance going. And the problem is, is that 
the mistakes that Amy makes ultimately, her downfall is that she doesn't focus on the correct things. Like she's passionate about the Women's Alliance going to the end. And if that's her ultimate goal, that's fine. But she needs to shore up, you know, Scout and all these people in the Women's Alliance. She wasn't keeping everyone sufficiently happy there or satisfied. Mm-hmm. which she should have been doing a better job at and in Leanne. And then the other thing is is that barring that, knowing that Scout is a wild card and can't be trusted or other women and can't be trusted, you have to then break this all the women's alliance sticking together and maybe have like a, we'll have an all women near the end, but maybe we'll break it up and have some men in there as voting chips. Mm-hmm. And you need to then approach Rory and be like, all right, you want to be my lackey? Cool. Follow along with us. And then just vote him out when you don't need him. Yeah. But instead... She didn't look at home and, you know, shore up Scout. And, you know, Rory is basically coming to them saying, look, throw me a bone here. And they're like, no, that is yeah. not good survivor play. Yeah, no, Amy has very, very much has tunnel vision. And really, I hate to say I'm a big Amy fan, but she really, she, all the mistakes, all the problems that come later are all really caused by her. She just doesn't play this very well. She doesn't play this right. I do like this episode, though, because I do like the reward challenge of this one. It's, it, it's, they have to navigate. A, I do like the they have to open up a coconut and then carry oh, the yeah. water through the yeah. obstacle course. It's a cool challenge, right? Because mm-hmm. it's all about balance and stuff. But in my head, I was like, the one with the, with the smaller women is probably going to be better. <laughs> yeah, you think? I, I, I just have a hunch that Sarge and Chris might not be that good at this one. Although Leanne is sort of built like a giraffe, so she has a hard time getting through there. Leanne is tough. Yeah, well, she's supposed to like the basically the challenge is that they are they're carrying the coconut water <laughs> through this obstacle course and have to fill up a, a jar. Uh-huh. And Leanne almost bumped, yeah, yeah, she trips it again. Yeah, because they they fill up their jar first, and then all she has to do is like walk back to the start with the jar. So first she forgets yeah. to bring the jar back, so then she has to go back and get the jar, and then she's like strutting all the way back, and she totally falls. It's fantastic. <laughs> I have to say, I mean, I use this term a lot, but the, the term adorkable applies to Leanne as one of my favorite adorkable contestants. Because she's so, I mean, she's fun and klutzy, and I love the fun and klutzy, and like she's a model or something in real life, so it's just funny, the whole combination of Leanne. I just wanna, I'm a big fan of hers. Speaking of people that are underrated in the cracks time, I love Leanne. And yeah. like, everything, like every time she's on the screen, I'm like, she's great, because she's got good facial expressions, you know, she, I, I like the way she talks in confessionals, like... I think she's a really, really interesting character that, you know, just kind of got, I think, outshadowed yeah. by uh, other people. But, yeah, the, Yasser wins this reward. But the reward's good, too. It's, it's the whole coffee bar reward, right, where they have to coffee go bar. get yeah. coffee and, and croissants, which is all that thing. But I liked, I liked the fact that they had, like, the, the little board with all the people's pictures on it, and they got letters from home, which makes yeah. me cry. Yeah. I have to say, I was noticing when I was, you know, the, it's the, the wall with all the pictures. And this, this tribe is all women and Rory. And I like that Rory has to point out all the pictures of the black male are him. I'm like, yeah, you think, Rory? <laughs> that one's like me. I like the picture of Rory and his son both dressed up as the cowardly lion. <laughs> Just because now I want to imagine Rory in the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. I'm not going to do that impression, so nice try. <laughs> oh, darn it. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, also, yeah, the home cafe, that's what it's called. Yeah, the home cafe is good. I also like that you know, Amy at this point, her profession is a barista, right? Yeah. So then they have that 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 very quick shot because basically they're it's this is a uh, is this a Folgers commercial? Was it Folgers coffee? I don't know. I think it, it was just generic coffee, actually. I thought it was some sort of brand, but they they had the you know the the coffee. It was it. I mean now now nowadays uh, at the time of this podcast, we've got like you know Keurig makers are kind of you know very big and a gauche, but they weren't at this time. And this is one of these home coffee makers where they have like the pods or the little 
quick filters of coffee and you put it in there with some water and it makes like the, the one cup at a time as opposed to the, you know, large pot of coffee. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those advertisements. And so at the coffee bar, they're doing that. And then they get to bring it back to camp, which is, you know, super fun for later. But like, you know, you, you have this quick shot of like Amy, you know, having being a, by the coffee and like stirring up the coffee like a barista. Like she was actually doing some of that sort of coffee work. I was like, that's fun. It's too bad LaPevy didn't have a challenge where they got to ride a mechanical bull. So John could have operated it. He's like, oh, dude, I know this. <laughs> it's like I Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's a Unix. I know this. It's a Unix system. <laughs> oh, they're coming. John, the John, P, John P comes on. All right. Well, I got the amber. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> So yeah, so they get the coffee machine, they get back, and they all bond. I think this is also where we learn that Amy has a younger brother who died in a car crash. Yes. And it's uh, again, it's fascinating that Amy is really the villain of the season, but she has so many little humanizing moments. She uh, Again, one of the more fascinating characters in Survivor history. And again, I know people will say, well, in real life, she's nothing like what you saw in the show. And I really don't care what she's like in real life. I'm just talking about the show. Like From a three-dimensional character perspective, I can maybe name only three or four other characters who are as three-dimensional as she is. It's just yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I I don't ultimately care what she is like in real life, but I, I bet I know what she's like in real life. She's probably an amazingly awesome person, mm-hmm. you know, because she seems so. But when we talk about Amy, we're talking about the character that was shown to us on TV, which is a lot of times not who you are in real life. You know, mm-hmm. it's just what you are in Survivor. But I, I, I've said it this podcast, I agree with you 100%. I think Amy is one of the most complex people we've ever yeah. been shown on the show. She is so not a cardboard cutout. It's no. just interesting. Yeah, and I, I think that also, again, speaks testament to the Survivor editors back in those days. That I think they were really pushing to portray normal people as opposed to seasons now. Whereas I feel like if Vanuatu aired now, Amy would just have a lot more of these villain-like confessionals and, you know, the promos would be like, it's the biggest female villain Survivor has ever seen. And I feel like things like this would be cut out completely. Yeah, no, I agree. Although I do have to throw a little shout-out here to Rory's letter from his wife, where she specifically mentioned, by the way, don't burn the camp down, you sore loser. (laughs) That's fantastic, and I love that he points it out. But, you know, Rory also, Survivor 101, as he says, like, you know, everyone's got these letters and they're talking about their family from home, and he does say... You know, it was a nice bonding moment, but I still know where I stand with these people. And it's like, it's that, that's the whole thing. If you go on Survivor, you obviously have to learn and bond with these people, but none of that matters. It's all window dressing. You have to understand what's going on in the game. Very true. Mm-hmm. So anyway, back from the home cafe as Yasser takes their uh, coffee machine back to, or coffee maker back to uh, their camp. Now we go over to Lopevi, and this is one of the, more integral moments in the season. There's there's a couple moments in every season that really define everything else that happens down the road. And there's one that happens right here in this episode that I think a lot of people have forgotten about. This is where Julie completely snakes Twyla. Yep. It basically fucks up everything that the guys have been working for and will fuck up for the rest of the game. Yeah, if there's, if there's one moment that kind of spells out the outcome of the next three episodes, it is this moment where Julie does this brilliant read of Twyla that she figured she kind of figures out while watching them go into the woods for a little bit that Sergeant has probably offered her some sort of deal. So Julie just kind of comes up with the lie on the spot that the guys had brought up the same deal to her and basically kind of, you know, had that moment where she's like, oh, aren't these men horrible? You know, they're both offering us final four deals. You know what? Screw them. Let's just take them out. And she totally brings Twyla back over to her side just through one lie. 
Yep. And that brings up the question, is Julie that good at manipulating people or is Twyla that easily manipulated? It's one of the two. But yeah, Julie just absolutely wrecks Twyla's game right there. She wrecks all the men's game and it only happens in about 30 seconds. That's how quick it is. Well, I, th- I think the answer to your question, Mario, is Julie is that good. And at this point, Twyla is that gullible. Yeah. I don't think Twyla is ultimately gullible. Twyla, you know, she's got, I think, I think she's thinking really well, but Sarge brings it up a couple episodes later. I don't want to jump the gun, but it's like all of those old, it's like, you know, the old adage of Romeo and Juliet wouldn't exist because cell phones exist today, right? Yeah. Like, you know, mm-hmm. just communication is always one of those things. Julie says this lie to Twyla. Twyla then needs to go back and talk to the men, but she doesn't because I think she's just thinking, like, she believes what Julie says to her. And I think it's because Julie correctly susses out, as Mike said, that that Sarge had offered her some sort of deal. And so Julie's like, did they offer you a deal? Cause they offered me a deal Yep. and it's a total shot in the dark. But since Twyla is like, how did you know that? Are you a wizard? So yeah. like, because you know, Julie sort of figures that out on the spot. Twyla is like, Oh my God, those men, I can't trust them. So I don't think she thought to go back to the men and confirm because it's like, well, what are they're snakes? What are you going to say? Right. Yeah. But it's yeah, like, exactly. I think ultimately though, if she had Julie's spot would have been blown up. But she didn't. And so this is an incredible play by Julie. Yeah, this is always exhibit A in my argument why Julie is maybe the most underrated player ever. She's, I mean, she's in my top five most underrated players ever. And this is the exhibit A in, in that argument. It's a really, really good move. Ultimately, you, again, with Julie, she never is truly in power anywhere. She's always trying to find a niche. But what this does is it keeps Julie's option open. And she says so. And she says so in that scene where she's flirting with the men and she's sunbathing her buttocks region where she's like look you know i don't mind flirting to get ahead and you know if they keep me around purely for visual stimulation well i'm still in the game then aren't i like she's trying to just keep her options open because i think that the men like her and want to keep her around but it's like if they go to emerge and there's more women she wants to keep that option open too Mm -hmm. and i think that with that you know she's just trying to keep everything open which ultimately is not the best thing for her at the end, but this is a great move because she clearly knows that, you know, she's Twyla's in better than she is. And yeah. so she's uh-huh. trying to not only is she trying to better her game, she actually sort of screws up Twyla's game a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah. and and not just the men. She's screwing up a lot of people's game, but she's bettering hers. Yeah. Which is which is why the move is so good. Yeah, it's the same Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, to that extent, it's almost like she's playing the female Chris game, essentially. Yeah. Uh, we see a confessional a couple of episodes from now when Chris is talking about how he makes all these final two deals before the merge just so he can keep his options open. And that's exactly what Julie's doing mm-hmm. now. It's not, it's not as granular as down to the, to the end game, but she's, she's got a lot of options open so that, as we'll see next episode, she's an integral part uh, where she can really go with either side and she'll be, she'll be part of the inner circle either way. Yeah, and I was going to compare her to Chris as well in that Julie knows if she can get Twyla mad, Twyla will go say things and get and screw up her own game because Twyla's like that. So if I do something to piss Twyla off, she'll go confront the man. Twyla will go down. I'll go up. And it's basically the same thing as at the end, Chris telling Twyla, make sure you tell all these jurors what you think of them. I mean, it's just the same type of thing. You know you can use Twyla's anger and lack of uh, finesse against her. Yep. All right. Uh, immunity challenge. It's a good this one. Is the, 
famous one with the uh, shooting out of the tiles with a slingshot or I believe as uh, my, my, in Boy Scouts they're known as wrist rockets. I'm not sure what the actual term is, but they're using slingshots to uh, break these tiles. Yeah, and Sarge has something like, this is back to us, you know, busting stuff at Boomtown. I'm like, Sarge apparently, you know, spent his life as a lost boy in Neverland, but... <laughs> yes. I won't grow up! <laughs> I will not do it! You're messing up my development! <laughs> and this is, this is, again, like, another challenge that I feel is, again, unnecessarily complicated. There's this whole thing of, like, there's a grid of squares, and the corresponding square that you knock out, you have to flip... And when you're rows out, you advance to the mat. But it basically turns into, like, knock out all the tiles. The yeah. first tribe that knocks out all the tiles wins the challenge. That's essentially what it is. Yeah. Again, this is not a challenge I would never use in a story because it's too complicated. You can't write it. It's, there's way too many things going on. Although, it's kind of like that killer challenge from Pearl Islands last season a little bit. Yeah. Except instead of knocking out the other team's shooters, you're knocking out your own tribe shooters so the bad ones don't have to shoot. That would be my that would be my fix to that challenge because I agree with you, Mike. It is needlessly complicated, but I guess in a way, it's like if you are good with the slingshot, you can then aim and knock out the tiles of the people who suck with the slingshots on your team so that you can have your best shooters go. But mm-hmm. like, it doesn't really work out that way, I think, because you know, other than Rory, it just seems like everyone's just aiming and hoping they knock down a tile. Yeah. So it's like, you know, either either fix it so that, you know, you can have some control over which of your opponents are shooting or just make it a knockdown all the tiles, first one wins. And I will have to say, this is a legitimately exciting challenge. This is, I was watching it, and they have some really good music in it. Like, it really pumps you up. It's like, it reminds me of the Africa uh, challenge where they shoot the flaming arrows. Mm-hmm. It's just challenges like this always work kind of well on TV because you can dwindle down the number of shooters, the number of targets. It just it gets exciting. And this is... I think a, re- a legitimately great challenge after the legitimately last great episode. The, the season's really starting to kick up right here. Yeah, and it's also a great challenge story-wise, just to see Rory, who's basically been told by his tribe, you're next, to single, basically single-handedly win his challenge for this tribe. It, it's just an awesome, awesome part of the story. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this is Rory needed it because he knew that if the tribe lost... He was going home. And, you know, Yasser, the other members of Yasser were not throwing the challenge. Maybe they should have. You know, maybe it wouldn't have mattered since Rory would have gone up there. But they could have thrown the challenge if they had just aimed for his tiles. Well, they and, could. They, you shoot out your own teams, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, so they could. The other tri- team couldn't have knocked out Rory's. Right. No, that's what I'm saying. No, yeah. I'm saying that the other women of Yasser, like, I feel like oh. the Yasser tribe, you know, they could have, if they really wanted to get rid of Rory, they could have just thrown it by yeah. knocking out his tiles. And, and and they didn't necessarily do, but, you know, after the reaction with Rory winning and, you know, wooing and, you know, being so excited and stuff like that, and I think Scout has some, like, up, oh, what a day has turned, or, you know, some, she says some comment, and my interpretation of that is, is that they they would like to win, and winning is great, but if they if they lose, oh, well, Rory goes home. Can you imagine the shit fit Rory would have thrown if his own tribe knocked out all of his titles? Oh my god, he he might have actually burned the camp down. Yeah, that would have been pretty impressive. We need another letter from Rory's wife. <laughs> yes. she, she didn't write one. Somebody get on a computer. <laughs> she has just written written in Sharpie. Please do not burn the camp down. Yeah. Please do not attack Amy with a machete. I repeat, please do not attack Amy. All right, yeah. so yeah, Rory wins. Uh he he wins. He goes back to camp. This is where he breaks the immunity idol, right? Yeah, by shoving it in yeah. the ground. He's running around wooing more than a girl on spring break, and he slams that, that 
uh, Unity Idol down and breaks it, which is great. Classic Rory. Classic. Was, I think all, that might it, be... A, it, it was a classless that, move. Yeah, that might be a trivia question. Who was the first person ever to break the Immunity Idol? I think that was on a Pringle once. <laughs> it might have been. I don't know if we're counting uh, Butch when he burns down the camp and burns down the Immunity <laughs> Carrots or not. Butch should just be the Pringles answer to everything. Like, you know, <laughs> who broke everything? The answer is Butch. <laughs> who likes who things had, dry? <laughs> yeah, who had the driest wood? <laughs> Let me tell you something, Mario. <laughs> you will be the Lope answer. Lopevi. Lopevi. <laughs> hey, 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 Mr. Lopevi, man, who's talking? If you, if you, if you want to get along in life, you just believe in yourself and you think positive thoughts, you will get there. I don't know if that fits on a Pringle. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a big Pringle. That that pink that Pringle right there, that's dry. <laughs> he got a big potato and they were like, fuck it, cut him up. They're laid back. <laughs> uh, my Mitch Hedberg reference of the day, thank you. Oh, Mitch Hedberg. But right. uh, yeah, basically at this at this end, you know, Rory is excited and they go to Lepevy, and you know, this this is the talk and, and again, for as awesome a character as Chris is, and Chris is an A plus character. I, I think Chris is in my Chris is one of my top five characters of all time. I love Chris to death. And Chris's back end of the game is incredible. But right here, Chad and Chris have a conversation where Chad's like, I don't know. We probably need to get rid of one of the women. Mm-hmm. And Chris says no. Chris trusts Julie. Chris trusts Twyla. Yeah. And this is, this is a mistake. This is Chris's mistake. This is Chris's call, and he makes a mistake. I, you know, because... You know, according to, I mean, Chris has, I'm not saying he didn't come from some sort of like, where is your head at? Because Mm -hmm. John Kenny was never in his alliance. They made the alliance not with John Kenny at the beginning of the game. But, you know, what Chris needs to understand and why I think Amazon doesn't help him out is that, especially with such a divided season, men versus women, and with that opening ceremony and, and stuff like that, like men versus women ties are going to be very, very strong come merge time. Mm-hmm. And Chris did not take that into account. He's like, well, John will probably betray us, or I can't count on John, and I trust Twyla. And it's like, the pull is going to be strong at the merge, having more men. Even if, if John flips, then you can just go, you know what? I should have gone with my gut then, and, and, and you, know, you have a whole set of, of problems. But it's like, John says in his final words, and maybe he was just saying it, but I mean, he's like, I don't know why you voted me out. I would have stuck with the men. And I truly believe that, you know, as, as worthless as John Kenny was in a lot of ways, I think he would have stuck with the men's tribe at the merge. Yeah. See, to me, this is just a coin flip. I mean, he's, there's pros and cons to either one. And that's the thing. Like, they honestly thought they had a bond with Twyla. And that's the thing. He's put banking a lot on that Twyla bond. Yeah. And John, they've never had any bond with whatsoever to the point they just sit around and laugh at him around camp. So. I mean, I'm a big Chris fan, obviously. I'm going to defend him. I don't think that any player is infallible. I mean, all good players make bad moves. Richard Hatch made bad moves. No, yeah. I didn't even yeah. So, but I, I don't think this, this, this decision was that bad. I mean, if Twilight really is a woman of her honor, like she says, and Sarge is so insistent that he can believe Twilight, they bonded with her, I can see why you would stick with Twilight. You totally believe, like, Julie's a whole different thing, but Twilight, they think they have. Right. And I, and I get that. And, and that's, that's the thing. I think that when you look at it on paper, it's not that horrible of a decision, mm-hmm. really. But the problem is, is that he has people like Chad is saying it to him, like, think about this, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's like if Chad weren't there saying it, like if Chris just had to make this call totally on his own and weigh the battle in his head, mm-hmm. I could totally see it. But it's like 
Chad is mentioning it to him. And even Bubba, who says, Chris, remember the merge, you know, beforehand, like <laughs> there have been flags in your head like this is men versus women. It's like Bud, Bubba said, Chris, remember the merge. The other tribe goes to tribal council. Bubba gets sent home. Like there are flags up there for Chris, like men versus women. You need to think about this. And it's like there was that. And then the women sent home Lisa, which again, wasn't a good move for Amy, but it wasn't a good move. For, you know, it, it, it does. There's a lot of dominoes that fall. And I think that was like, Chris was like, I don't think it's all women because they voted out Lisa. And it's yeah. like, well, there's that. But you keep talking about having the numbers. And it's like right now the women have the numbers on you, dude. Like they, they can do stuff like this. Yeah, it's interesting for all his talk before the switch about like, let's just stay the course. We have the numbers. Let's just stick with it. He's, uh, he's very surprisingly flippant in terms of like, no, oh, we'll, we'll bring him in. Uh, I mean, I think it's a very good point that you just made, Jay, about like, it's interesting that Chris's mistake was made because of Amy's mistake, essentially. Mm-hmm. I think Chris looked over at the other tribe. He's like, oh, Rory's there. This is a different type of game. And then he, he admits again a couple of episodes from now, like, oh, I completely misjudged the situation. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he totally, he freely admits it. And that's, that's another reason why I love Chris is that he's like, I made this mistake. Now I need to figure out how to recover from this mistake. And he recovers brilliantly. But it's like right here, this is a bad read. Well, I have to point out one thing that's really interesting. For as much of our, of our talk as it coming down to John Kay or the women, if you remember, neither one of the women is actually a target or even an option. Yeah. When they're talking about the vote, it comes down to John or Chad. Yeah. Like, how did that, like, how, I, I hate to keep bringing up this point, but how good is Julie as a player that she's not even being mentioned here? She's the obvious one to flip back. There's young girls on that tribe, but she's not even being, her name isn't even being thrown around. Right. So what is she doing behind the scenes to make these men trust her? That's the thing with Julie. There's so much of her game that you have to think about for a second. Like, wh- how good is she bonding with these guys who are all, you know, much older than her to the fact that they're not even thinking about getting rid of her? That is an incredibly excellent point. I mean, yeah. I have no counter to that. I mean, and, and that's the thing is that it was John Kay or Chad. A woman did not come up. And, I, you know, theoretically, if Twyla is your bond, Julie is the logical person to get voted out this episode. Yeah. And her name doesn't come up. You are exactly right on that. Yeah, and it's like, – I know after the game, Chris – has said that he and Julie are like super best friends in real life. She's like his best friend in the cast. So Julie did a great job of getting these guys to like her. That's the thing. Again, you just don't see it on camera. But it's just one of these things you have to look between the cracks to see how the season was really playing out. Anyway, right. see, you, see you, John Kenny. Yeah, see exactly. ya. And then, uh, yeah, so that's it. Although it's interesting that you know Chris leads the charge to get John voted out. And then in his final words, John says, I hate all of you except Chris. I hope you win, Chris. I'm like, yeah. a testament to Chris's social game that the guy, he led the charge to get John out, and John's specifically not pissed at him. Yep. So again, just, 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 there's a lot of really good social players in this season. Chris and Julie, just right at the top of the list. Because I don't think John bonded with the women very well. It's funny because he's like, Chris, Sarge, I hope you guys win. Everyone else, I hope you don't. Yeah. So it's like, if you look specifically at his tribe, he, there's Chris and Sarge, and then he doesn't really like the women, so he's like, I hope all the women lose. And then the only other person is Chad. Yeah, how yeah. can you hate Chad? Well, well he, 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 he targets Chad. He's the one to specifically bring up, like, he brings, I think he brings up the, the sympathy vote again, which Brady yeah. brought up a few episodes before, which is kind of a weak way of voting for someone, especially in those early days. But maybe he just wasn't a, a big fan of people without limbs. John Kennedy was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's uh, speculation. <laughs> so anyway that's it bye John probably the most forgettable character in the cast unless you are uh, someone who finds him attractive and then you're in love with him well and that's that's most people to be quite honest with you but yeah, to be uh, quite honest 
All right. So anyway, we go to the merge. Now the season's really going to it's it's already ramping up to into the really good season territory. This is where it really starts kicking up a notch with this merge. Mm-hmm. But we have a but we have a nice little segment first. Once again, dedicated to how hot Julia is, and now Sarge is being uh being lured in. Oh yeah, yeah where she just cuddles up against his crotch. Yeah, I was like, is this the fire store? The the fire yeah. scene? Yeah. Uh huh. She's all over him. And then she gets into sunbathe. That's it. And here we go, Jay. Yeah. You found your favorite scene. Oh, God. The whole, like, you know, she's on the beach and, you know, yeah. Is this the tanning, the buttocks, or is that happening? It is. It's first against the campfire. She cuddles right up against him where she's like, they're basically spooning. And then the next day she talks him into sunbathing nude with him. You know, and it's funny because, like, Chad comments about that. And he's just like, yeah, you know, at first we were like, oh, well, maybe she's cold or something like that. But, you know, she just kept, she just kept there for a while. And, and. (laughs) And, and and Sarge was just letting it happen. <laughs> I love that. And to be fair, most people would let it happen. Most guys would let sure. that happen. Sure. Yeah. And Sarge is like, Julie, she, she's fine. She's a fine woman. <laughs> Who's half my age. <laughs> yeah, these are uh, – these. I think this, this scene specifically has some really funny confessionals from all three guys. Uh, yeah. Both Sarge and like getting lured in and then Chad and Chris just looking on them in disbelief. Yeah. Chris is like, Sarge, what are you doing? Sarge, what are you doing? You know, and with the, that's a wide ass because, you know, Julie, <laughs> yeah. Julie basically got Sarge to tan his ass, right? Yeah. You know, and, and Sarge is doing it because a very pretty girl is telling him to do something and he's just like, okay. So then he does it and then they're like, that's a white ass. And then like Chris comes out and they're like, Sarge, what are you doing? And then he's just like, Julie is a bad influence on you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> basically, <that's, laughs> I have nothing more to add other than yeah. this is basically how the Trojan War started, too. It just kind of happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a hot girl out there and guys do stupid stuff. Essentially, yeah. Yep. And then uh, we do get, before, before merge stuff, we do get, uh, again, on the Yasu tribe where Rory, <laughs> Rory has a nice confessional where he's like, if it weren't for me and Scout doing work, this tribe would die. Eliza, Eliza, she's like a little kid. Stupid people irritate the hell out of me. Yeah, and then, right. and I'm ready to get the yeah. hell out of Yasser. Yeah, and, and then we find he- Go ahead. No, I was just say we get that scene where Eliza like is trying to boil water. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't know how to boil yeah. water. She's like, and she's like, and she's just poking at it with a stick, essentially. All I can say is, thank God Eliza never had to do like a fire making challenge, like in Cook Islands. It would have taken like a day and a half for her to light a fire. Oh, so it would have taken just like in Cook Islands. Just like that. We could have a, a three-way between the three of them, and it still wouldn't have had a winner. And Sarge would be watching that three-way very closely. <laughs> yes. Yes, he would have. No, it, <sighs> Butch so would like, be watching. Butch, Butch would be like, now that, right there, now that, that's not proper fire making. You don't <laughs> is, that, have the is, right- this, is this Butch porn? Watching people make fires? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sarge is looking at the women, and Butch is like, oh my god, look at the wood. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the tinder. Oh my I love god. That, I love that wood gives Butch wood. <laughs> <laughs> He's a simple man. <laughs> I don't to want nature. to be on a team with Butch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, so, you know, Rory is disgusted and he's trying to figure it out. I just love the scene where, like, Eliza's trying to do something. And uh, poor Eliza. I mean, Eliza's got a lot of skills. Outdoor living at this point time is not necessarily one of them. Mm hmm. And, uh, you know, it's tough because Rory is, like, trying to basically say, look, I need to be here before, you know, I need to be around after Eliza. It's this whole deserving thing, which is always just a fun thing that 
came up in Survivor back in the old days. It still comes up in Modern Survivor, and it's still a concept I never understand, which is the this person doesn't deserve to be here. It's like deserve never has anything to do with anything, honestly. And, you know, I, I never get that. But Rory's like, Eliza can't do anything around camp. She sucks. She shouldn't be here. It's a good yeah. point. <laughs> and then uh, Rory also complains about Amy writing her little queen role. He goes, I'd love to knock her ass down to a peg one of these days. So this is where it's really building up that Amy is the power villain that needs to be taken down. Yep. And it's Rory that's telling us that. Yeah. And again, I should point out, she is only a villain in the sense that Rory repeatedly tells us that. Mm-hmm. If you were to look at this narrated from Amy's point of view, she wouldn't be the villain. So a lot of people will say, well, I never saw Amy as a villain. I'm like, well, if you look at it as the story presented from Rory, yes, she is. I mean, that's, and that's the only narrative we really get right now. Well, it's the only perspective. Because like you said, over on Pevy. The the men's perspective right now, because John Kenny's been voted out, all we have left uh, of men is there is Sarge, Chris, and Chad, right? Yeah. And they're forming a deal with Twyla, and that has now fallen through because of Julie. That's all we need to know over there. But, like, the women's camp, the Yasser, it's still all in flux. It was kind of like you said, we didn't know where Lisa stood. Uh-huh. And so it's like, we're still trying to figure out all of that stuff, because we know Amy and Leanne are kind of together. Scout is trying to get rid of Eliza. Eliza is trying to get rid of Scout. And so there's sort of that bickering, but it's like Rory is like, Amy's the queen. Rory has now identified to us, even though we've already seen confessionals and things and the like, that the power player right now is Amy. And so yeah. we're just still trying to establish that Amy is the power player. Yep. And the only other thing I think that happens now is uh, we go to the reward challenge. They haven't merged yet. We're going to later this episode. But they go to the reward challenge, and this is where Scout first starts making uh, uh, uncomfortable comments about Twyla. Yeah, she had a, she had a dream uh, about Twyla. The Twyla had to go home, and uh, as Sarge would say, it, it might have been elaborate. <laughs> it right, been elaborate. Yes. And it's it's kind of set up. And it, again, red flag to Chris, right? Like it, it's the whole not reading, and you know, there, there's the fun little back and forth. But it's like Amy has a confessional in the previous, you know, uh, uh, episode where she's like, "It kind of sucks that we lost the challenge because now I know that either Julie or Twyla is going home, and they yes. don't go home. It's John Kenny, right?" So yeah. when when they come and get the new advantage and jo- or the the to the new challenge and John Kenny's not there, all the women have this like big sigh of relief. They're almost like cheering out loud. Yeah, you know that should be a warning sign to you. And then Scout kind of gives the ah, oh, I really had a thing that Twyla was going home, and it's like I honestly think that Scout was worried that Twyla was going home, and she did have some sort of dream. I don't think that was totally illegitimate, but like <laughs> all the women are sort of on the same. Like get the women together still have more women numbers because even though you're working on your own individual game and maybe you know eliza wants to get rid of scout or scout wants to get rid of eliza more women in the game is the better backup plan absolutely all right so here we go to the reward challenge this is the famous one where you throw water in a bucket to each other and whichever whichever tribe can get the most water at the end ends up winning the preemptive reed donaldson memorial challenge <laughs> yes <laughs> poor reed anyway reed Come on! <laughs> you are messing me up right now! Talk to me, Reed! Damn right. it, Reed! <laughs> Damn it, Reed! <laughs> Fun fact, my, whenever my fiancé and I get fake angry at each other, we just yell, Damn it, Reed, at each other. <laughs> That's good. good. I hope Damn you're both book lovers. It's, it makes it different. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, this is the one where they win milk and cookies and chocolate cake, and there's a little cute moment in here where... Chris goes on and on about how he loves milk. Chris is the milk lover, which how how could Chris have not have turned into America's hero was beyond me. He was the milk lover. Well, yeah, because America's hero and survivor is Rupert. And what was Rupert's favorite drink? 
Two percent cow's milk. Cow's milk. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> it's elementary at this point. Fresh yeah, you... from the udder. <laughs> I drink it right out of the cow. That was something that stood out was that the milk was there, and like you could just see Chris's face, like he was orgasmic, and everyone was like, "Oh, Chris, there's your milk, buddy." Oh, so, like, loves milk. As, as they've all sat around and probably talked about food a million times around the fire, <laughs> apparently Chris more than once has been like, "Dude." milk let me tell you <laughs> he's the nascar guy now what i want to do after the season i want to go to nascar event and i want to pound some milk and john kenny said he couldn't bond with him yeah exactly <laughs> all right so anyway the guys win and chris celebrates and i have to say once again chris is one of my favorite players to watch celebrate because he celebrates 50 percent harder than anybody else who <laughs> celebrates always <laughs> And again, I just wrote my notes here. This season is getting really fun now. That, oh, that was a fun challenge. It was a fun yeah. challenge. And, and you could see, though, that because it's the whole bucket passing. And at the end, they have to pass the water by throwing it out of one bucket into the other bucket that Chris had to catch. Uh-huh. And it, it, I don't understand why Survivor doesn't do this more. Because this was such a fun challenge to watch here in Vanuatu. And we've already made fun of it, you know, about how entertaining it was with Colby and Reed in Survivor Heroes <laughs> versus Villains. Damn like, it! This challenge is just visually interesting because not everyone's going to do it right. You know what I mean? And, and the Yasser tribe, like poor Rory, was just getting a shower yeah. because they, you know, they couldn't throw the water to him correctly. And it's like that's always going to happen if you've got people passing water from bucket to bucket. And, and I don't understand why they don't do it more. It's such a visually interesting challenge, and it leads to fun conflict. Yeah, and it costs like 10 bucks to set up, too. You need to buy two buckets. That's all you need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so here we go. Going back to Lepevi, Twyla is embarrassed that Scout was gushing about her last night, and it gets worse later, so we'll just kind of fast forward to that later. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Scout was talking about me. I was like, damn, Scout, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to hear about how Scout was clicking her mouse. Oh. Wow. All right. Uh, but <laughs> so the, important anyway, thing, the important thing about this scene is that we have a nice uh, Chad and Chris conversation. Yes. Oh, maybe my favorite conversation of the whole season. <laughs> and this is one I wrote about on the Funny 115. I could not have been more tickled to write about it. It's the one where Chris and Chad solidify their final two offer. And then Chad says, well, I don't know why you'd want to go with Sarge, go with Sarge to the end. And Chris is like, well, I don't know why I'd want to go with you to the end either because you got a leg up on me, which is a great thing to say to a guy with one leg. And then Chris immediately catches his, his mistake. He's like, what? oh, my God, I did not just say that. And what's funny is that Chris is, like, doubling over with the, I can, I, oh, my God, I can't believe say it. And, like, you just see Chad, like, dude, there are a million puns. Honestly, <laughs> there are just a ton of puns. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just Chris overreacting to the comment, which is just sells it even more. It's just, again, if it's, it's a scene I've seen so many times. It's just, I can replay it in, mem- in my memory. But if you've only seen Vanuatu once or twice, just go watch that scene and just watch how funny that is and just the reaction shots of everybody. It's just a great little moment. And it's not the only time this season that Chris will say something stupid and catch himself. There's one later with Eliza that's just as funny. And this is uh, Chad's number one and final most interesting moment on the season. Exactly. Number, list, of exci- list of exciting Chad scenes. This one. <laughs> Wait, Kava hasn't torn him up yet. Oh, that's true. Kava. <laughs> Kava. All right. So I yeah, also, I also where... like the weird thing at the, just previously when they're enjoying their award where like Sarge gets freaking sick on the chocolate cake. That's also funny. <laughs> so anyway, the important thing that happens right here is Chris and Chad make this final two deal, which is all great and well or good and well until Chris tells us in a confessional, well, you know, I have an identical final two packed with Sarge and I have an identical final two packed with Julie. So he's like, 
maybe I'm going places I shouldn't, but right now I have a backup plan with everyone. So this is one of those really dangerous ways to play Survivor. Good players can get away with it. Bad players can't. And Chris is telling us right now, like, I got a final two with everybody. So yeah. that, just keep that, that in mind. And that's, and that's the thing we saw with Boston Rob last season as well, when he made that uh, alliance with Alicia right before the merge. And like, like you said, there's, it's a very, very finicky way of handling it. And we'll see that Chris was able to maneuver his way out of it. But uh, it's nice to have options open. But uh, again, when you get so granular as the final two, it can get a little hairy. Yeah, especially when one of them's Julie. And again, I don't know if that's just Chris being a really clever player, making an alliance final two with somebody you wouldn't expect, or Julie being so good as a social player that she's now roped Chris in as, as a final two. So it's just interesting that those two have already paired up. Yeah, and the only one that potentially backfires really is the one with Julie. Yeah. Because, you know, he makes a deal with Sarge, he makes a deal with Chad, but it's like as the game plays out, they're gone relatively quickly, and they're not gone at the hands of Chris and they're gone by the dominant other tribes. So it's like they're in the jury, and if Chris makes it to the end, they're going to vote for Chris anyway. They're not going to be like, dude, what about that final two deal? Because it's like Chris didn't snow him over, right? Yeah. So, you know, you're right. You know, it's a dangerous way to play, and you have to maneuver your way out of it. Chris didn't have to do a ton of maneuvering because a lot of his final two deals just organically went by the wayside. Yeah. But he did have to work his way out of a couple. And the way he handles Julie is just masterful. I mean... If oh, you ever yeah. want to teach a master's course on how to get a jury vote over somebody you just pissed, uh, fucked over, that would be a good one. Just show Chris winning Julie's jury vote. Mm-hmm. I brought you your hat. <laughs> I, always oh, think of, I always think of your Bill Paxton face. Yeah, right there. That's the Bill Paxton moment right there. Yeah. If not for me, do it for your country. <laughs> nice. But anyway, uh, yeah. Merge. Final two Merge. deal. But we get to the challenge, and Jeff starts to do the challenge, but he's like, but first, you know what? Drop your buffs. And the sad thing is Sarge already had his, his pants and buff dropped. So He's like, I am tanning my white buttocks area. <laughs> don't, don't worry, I've been to Europe. <laughs> I love that, that line. Like, it's okay because I've been to Europe. <laughs> like, you know, these uncultured Americans. <laughs> you know what? I wonder if that's what Paul was doing that whole time when he wasn't recording with us for historians. Was he just sunbathing nude? Paul, <laughs> oh, what are you doing? <laughs> Germany oh. is a bad influence on you. <laughs> Go back to Montana. <laughs> Comes back to Montana and he's like dropping trowel and someone's like, what the hell are you doing out here? You're going to scare the cows and the <laughs> other 20 people that live here. And Paul's going to be like, no, dude, it's okay. I've been to Europe. Yeah, I was in Germany. And they're going to be like, oh, well, in that case. <laughs> yeah, I was on historians. <laughs> oh, I know Jay Fisher. All right. So anyway, the merge. Yeah, they merge. There's a really exciting challenge. We have to race out and get the flags and come back. And uh, Sarge ends up winning immunity here. And this is actually a really fun challenge if you watch it because there's a lot of exciting like uh, Hans Zimmer type music they insert into this challenge. It's like big and heroic, like the movie The Rock. That's that's if you know that movie, it's that kind of music. And in fact, they even dump a little Pearl Islands music kind of right after the scene too. It's just kind of a throwback to Pearl. It's kind of a neat little, little transition in music right around this point. Yeah, well, the challenge is also kind of a, a, a take on that keel hall challenge that, that they did in Pearl Islands, where like there's heats and you have to go through the, basically like th- uh, in this case two laps, and then the first two from each heat move on. That's that's the kind of the sense that I got from the challenge, yeah. but it was like yeah. su- super simple. Although with this, not as much Rupert. No. All right, and so we get to the merge feast. Everyone's merging; they're happy, and Scout gives us a very famous quote where. Uh, I missed Twyla in places deep down I can't talk about. 
Oh boy. Open to interpretation any way you'd like. Take yeah. it away, Mario. I, I was I actually have no opinion on that, so I'd like you guys to hit the dirty jokes, please. <laughs> oh god. Alright, we'll just skip past this. Well this this will be this will be left up to the to the listener's imagination. Exactly. It's an ink blot test. You tell us what you think it means. All right. So one one thing I have in my notes right here, this is kind of interesting. I wrote right now at this point in the season, it totally looks like Chris or Rory or Chad is going to win because they're the one getting all the winner quotes and all this heroic comeback stuff. It's like there's almost no edit right now that the women are about to take over this game. And I I wrote the editors are doing a great job of smoke screening what's about to happen because what's funny is they are giving away the winner, except there's going to be a huge power shift before that you don't see coming. And then the winner comes back later. It's it's just interesting if you look at the edit right now, because Amy's getting a big villain edit. You don't think she's going to win, except it's they're about to take over the game. It's just an interesting way this season's edited right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, again, this I think that there's a lot of factors that go into some sort of negative reactions toward the season. But I think it's it, what's happening here is that we've we have been with Rory these these few episodes where we've you know for better or for worse we're identifying with Rory through the last couple of episodes and, and his plight at Yasser right and so the merge happens and you know what's great is that when they were hugging each other when they merged you get the little quote from Rory where he's like man I am so glad to be out of there I'm with you guys and then during this uh, feast you know they they get the traditional merge feast when they come back to camp. And, you know, during that, Rory is kind of over by the coffee maker with Sarge and stuff like that and basically being like, Amy, it's, a, it's an all-women thing. The yeah. women are together. Mm-hmm. And Amy's the leader. You need to get her out. And I'm with you guys. You know what I mean? And, and, and then, you know, Sarge kind of, you know, he's peeled away and the men kind of get away and they're talking. But it's like, again, there's just the four men and, like, Rory's dropping the bomb that the women are, you know, are sticking together. And, you know, you need to figure something out. Yeah, he's just he's just hammering Amy right here, to the point that Sarge is like, "Wow, he's like Bubba got crushed like a doggone bug." Yeah. So this is where I mean, this is the peak of the Amy is a huge villain edit, which again hadn't happened in in Survivor, probably since Jerry, the last really big female villain like this. I mean, she's getting so much attention as a villain right here. It's interesting. Yeah, and they have all these kind of shots because this is where you know because they had to make their tribe flag right, uh-huh. so they named their tribe Olinta, yay, and. Yeah. uh they they are painting the flag, so then they decide to paint each other. So then there's a scene where you know some of the ladies are around, kind of painting each other, and yeah. you know Amy's in the middle. It's it's a very you know purposeful shot that they're showing us. Oh, isn't that a great shot? Yeah, they're all like yeah. she's sitting there like like a like a goddess, and they're all kind of attending to her and flitting around and painting her. It's just the one of the great shots of the season, a little artsy shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and uh, she's got that look again. She's got that resting bitch look on her face too. Yeah, so it's it's nice, and it's nice to see that like right after that scene in particular, the guys start getting pretty, pretty flighty. And this is you know a- around this, Chad basically talks to Rory about like let's bring you in, and and the plan right now is for the Lapevi Five, so Chad, Chris, Sarge, Twyla, Julie, and now Rory to vote for Amy. Yes, and on the flip side, there's Amy saying, "Just vote a guy out. I don't care." Yeah. It doesn't matter which one to me. Just vote a man out. Yeah, that that that's a, such a great little thing where they were like, which, who should go home tonight? She's like, I don't know, one of them. Yeah. doesn't matter. Pick one. As long as he's got a dick, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, and then Julie and Twyla are kind of able to play the middle because then they're kind of, once they hear the plan, they're able to kind of go back to Chad and be like, well, we want to take out Rory, who's kind of in the in the Venn diagram of like on the other tribe and a male. He kind of fits perfectly in the middle. So it's not like they're necessarily 
you know, at this point betraying the guys, they're just saying like, hey, he's on, he's on the other tribe. We can still vote him out. It's still fair game. Well, yeah, this, this is the classic case of having your cake and eating it too, right? Because mm-hmm. Julie and Twyla, you know, obviously Mario knows which one, of, which one he thinks came up with it, but they were basically like, yeah, if we vote out Rory, then that satisfies the, the, the women's uh, wishes of voting out a man. But they were like, we also keep our options open with the Lepevi five because we're or with, the, with the other Lepevis because we haven't voted any of them out, right? Yeah. So they're going to, to Sarge and Chris and saying, you know, hey, let's vote out Rory because it's not part of our Lepevi six or, you know, or five or whatever we are, you know, and, and it'll it'll get us further. And like, they're basically saying Rory is tight. Rory is, you know, another dude. He's here. And they were like, can't we vote out a woman first and then we'll vote out Rory? So it's like there was arguments going on there. And because the argument shows up, I think Twyla and Julie were looking at the at the outnumbered Lepevis and saying, you know, that they, they may not be the best boat to be on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and Twyla's really kind of in a bad spot here because she's got bonds with both sides legitimately. So I kind of feel bad for Twyla in a sense. But again, Julie just totally snaked her earlier. So it's there's a lot going on in this episode. And unfortunately, we, we want to get through this in two more episodes on this podcast. So I don't want to delve too far into it. But it's basically it all comes down to a quote. I mean, Amy has a lot of great quotes right around here. And Amy says, I don't know what's been going on today, but I don't think that Twyla and Julie ever left the Women's Alliance. And that's basically what it really comes down to, although I don't think it was that simple if you were to ask Julie and Twyla. Yeah, I think for Twyla, uh, the big quote that she has right before Tribal Council is, you know, I'm cutting their throat before they cut mine. And I think that's a big indicator is that she, I think Julie planted the correct seed in her head and she has very, uh, granted a very short term inherent distrust of the man. But right now she's the swing vote and right now she's very clearly in the woman's camp, and that's kind of all she needs right now. And since it's Twyla, and she's, you know, pretty stubborn in that regard, I, I don't, she doesn't like the waffling in between, but I feel like her vote was pretty much set since a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, and to me, again, it's a bad read by Amy, because, you know, she says, I don't think that Twyla and Julie ever left the woman's tribe. I think they did. Yeah. But they came back. Well, you know, Twyla, and, and, Twyla left, for sure. Yeah, Twyla left. Right. It, 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 especially. And I think that... It, it's a bad read, and again, I, I think it's it's showing Amy's mistake in the game. And Amy's mistake, obviously, is that thinking that the other women had the same passion toward the Women's Alliance that Amy did. Yeah, you know what I mean, and not understanding that everyone had kind of their own thing going on at this moment, and they have their own wants and needs in the game, and not all of them were to have a Women's Alliance last the rest of the game. You know what's really unfortunate, and if I could. If you could have about 15 extra minutes of footage added to every episode, I would love to know what Leanne is thinking right during this point. I would love to know what Leanne's thinking a lot of the time. Yeah, Yeah, she never has a confessional. Not nothing strategic ever. I mean, it happens later, but I would love to know what Leanne was thinking around this point. Yeah, I I would love to see more in general of what Leanne's endgame strategy was, because we can tell that she was like close to to Amy, and we'll see next episode about her bringing Julie into the fold. But other than that, I'm not really sure what her her game plan was and what her endgame plan was at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, you have to assume she's going for the all-female thing because she and Amy are so tight. I'm assuming she thinks that Scout and Twyla are still there with them just because Scout and Twyla are the the, uh, older ones. So, I mean, who knows? Anyway, Rory gets blindsided. Oh, yeah. I forgot to point out that we have a historic moment here where Julie shows up at Tribal Council with Jeff's name on a heart on her chest. And then Jeff's dreams start getting more elaborate. <laughs> way more elaborate. And they start having way less Colby. 
Well, I don't know if they have less Colby. It's <laughs> yeah. it's probably Colby and. All right. Yeah. All right. I, I'm Could feeling be. that. I'm feeling Ooh. that. Who are we to judge? We don't know. Yeah. You know. But yeah, I mean, obviously, for those of people who don't know, Julie and Jeff were a couple, started dating after the season, and were a couple for quite a while. So this is the first moment that she, at least on camera, proclaimed her love for him. Right. And it, it's, it would be, again, it would be fun to know all of the backstory, not, not the backstory of, of their relationship, but, you know, just for the fact that, like, Julie had probably talking about how, how she had a crush on Jeff Probst for a while, you know, at some point, but we never saw it on any of the footage, right? Yeah. So, like, when they were painting, you know, each other with the leftover paint from the tribe flag, like, Julie got basically painted sort of, like, like sort of near her collarbone area, like, a little below, like, a heart, a like, a pink heart, and it says in the, in the middle was Jeff's name. Yeah. And so Jeff is like, oh, you guys, you know, they came to tribal council, all they were all painted up and stuff, and Jeff was like, oh, you guys all painted yourself. Anything in particular? And, yeah. like, everybody was, like, razzing Julie, right? They're like, yeah, this one. This one right here, look at this. And they were like pointing toward the Jeff heart, right? Yeah. And it's like, A, it's Jeff, and Jeff's there narrating tribal council. I get that. But like, she must have been talking about it. There, there's got to be backstory to this, right? Yeah. I got to say, you know, we bag on Jeff Probst a lot, but he's hooked up with what, one girl in Survivor history, and it happens to be like the most beautiful contestant in Survivor history. So, you know, you know no offense to Zoe, but, you know, he's, he did very well for himself. Yeah. Take that, Rhino. Yes. <laughs> Rhino. Right. We're the only podcast that tells it like it is about Rhino. <laughs> we know that's what the people came here for. That's right. Fuck you, Rhino. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. I was talking about a different... If Ryan O'Prey is listening, I was a different Rhino I was talking about. All right. So anyway, yeah, Rory gets blindsided. He's gone. Chad, of course, with the... Uh, the Chad phase. He Chad does face. it twice. The, the open mouth gape twice in one scene. The new record for Chad. It's like Mario's boner. It's a mar- like Mario's boner. It's exactly like that. <laughs> Chad, Chad's open mouth gape touches me in places I don't like to talk about. <laughs> Mario's right. dreams are getting more elaborate. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go on mute here for a couple seconds. You guys just talk. All right. So anyway, we go, we're done with Rory. And now, now the game's going to start uh, going on a downhill slide for the men. Yep, as, as the title says, uh, it's getting ugly. It's getting ugly. Well, you know it's getting ugly because then we have, isn't this another funny 115 moment with Sarge just brooding? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, first Amy has to comment that we shocked the shiznit out of them. And now we get, is this the, uh, yeah, this is the, the Sarge scene where the next morning Sarge is sitting there around the campfire looking furious, just ready to punch somebody. And Scout comes up and starts singing her little Bible hymn to him, like softly. That wasn't a Bible hymn. What is she singing? I forget. I didn't write it down. I didn't write it down either, yeah, but it's I not a hymn. It's just could, some I song. I could recognize it. It's probably some sort of like pretenders song from the 60s or something. Yeah, what? like one of the lyrics is, you're driving me crazy or, you know, you got me looking crazy or something. And then they're like zooming in on Sarge with this just, you know, manic look. Is that it? Okay. I, okay, I wrote down one line. One tiny candle in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like singing very softly to him. And he is just about ready to reach over and punch her. Which is, it's a great little moment. And everyone rem- kind of remembers that scene, too. It's, and according to Chris, this is something Scout would do all the time. There was no one better at getting in your head and just messing with you than Scout. Yeah, and yeah. they have really, really awkward banter of, like, Scout asking, I think it's a reward challenge today. And Sarge just sits there and he goes, yeah. Yeah, I think it might be. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's on the back of, you know, 
while this is going on, Sarge is giving a confessional where he's just like, it's clear that we're on the outs and the women got us. And it's just tough to talk to him now. It's just awkward to talk to him. Yeah. And of course, Chris here, Chris says, I'm just realizing right now it's a man-woman thing. And here we go. I finally get to do a Chris quote. He goes, the beauty of it is this game's not over. Anything can happen. If you're looking for Chris, if you're going back and rewatching the season looking for Chris, you could see him sort of setting this groundwork of, you know, the game is not over yet. It is not done, which is just clear foreshadowing by the Survivor producers that are including these scenes. But Amy says it in a confessional. Like, a couple people say, you know, anything can happen. A dude can win. This game is not over yet. And it's funny because the Survivor audience was so jaded because Survivor generally played out pretty predictably up to that point. I mean, you had Marquesas and Amazon had some crazy stuff. Pearl Islands had some crazy stuff. But, like... When an alliance is up six to three and it's women versus men and the women all hate the men, it's pretty obvious a woman's probably going to win. So it's like they'll say that stuff. And at the time, the audience is thinking, oh, yeah, the the editor is just trying to fool us and make us think that something interesting is going to happen. But what's fascinating is it actually does happen, which is that's why Vanuatu kind of jumps out at you when you talk about different seasons that stand out from others. Mm -hmm. But anyway, adding to the fun and also speaking about, you know, the famous uh, you know, uh, Kessel Run that the Millennium Falcon totally did in less than twelve parsecs. We've got a reward challenge, and it's the it's the coconut chop challenge. This coconut it's, chop uh, challenge. It's uh, fire fire skulls. Fire skulls that are made of, made out of coconuts, but you know Jeff Probst always says skulls. <laughs> All right, and the winner of this one wins a picnic. They get to take a helicopter ride up to an active volcano and have a picnic with chicken wings. A dormant volcano, but yes. Oh, it's a dormant? Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, the, the classic coconut chop, as it's come to be known. And and uh, uh, predictably, the first three taken out are the men in order. Mm-hmm. When it goes Sarge and then Chad and then Chris, which, wow, not surprisingly, is the order that they were going to be voted out, too. Yeah. And uh, there's a nice moment, again, another moment with brooding Sarge where Sarge gets a question right. Basically, uh I think these I think these are still tri- trivia questions about Vanuatu. Yes. And uh, Sarge hits Julie with one of his first hits. And Julie's like, "I didn't even hit you." And Sarge's like, "Oh no, it's uh, it's beyond that." It's and everyone just kind of laughs. Yeah. Let's let's not skip over that for a second. Later down the road, Chris totally blindsides Julie. And I remember at the time, people would moan on the message boards on the internet. Oh, that was so mean. Why would you be mean to Julie? I'm like, because she fucking did it first. Like, think about it. She just absolutely nailed the men's side right there. She had everything coming to her. So if they blindside her later, she totally had it coming because she was the biggest traitor of them all. So let's not give Julie a free pass here. That blindside later was totally deserved. Mm-hmm. And we also, this is also, uh, so Eliza is the next eliminated. And we really get to see this Scout and Eliza conflict come to the forefront with this little banter they have back <laughs> yeah. and forth. Oh, little one, it's because you're so smart. It's you're just a genius, little one. Little oh, my crazy. God. This is so, I mean, I know that this is totally your speed, Mario, but like that is, Scout is like brilliant at this, but the problem is, is that it's not totally, totally deceptive, but I mean, that's the whole thing is that, you know, she takes out Eliza, Eliza's the first uh, girl that gets eliminated from this challenge after the three men, and you know, when Eliza is burning the final coconut skull of Eliza, you know, she just says, in deference to your brilliance. Yes. And, and, and Eliza. Yeah, Eliza, the worst poker player on the face of the earth, because you can tell what, she, tell what she's thinking by looking at her face. Not happy. 
No, yeah. she's pissed, and she goes over and is brooding. And what's funny is that Scout does it in just that completely saccharine manner that she has, you know, just the indifference to your brilliance, right? What's funny is that, I, of course, I'm skipping ahead of the challenge, but, you know, as the challenge is ending, Eliza comes back to camp, and she's freaking pissed, and she's calling Scout out, and Scout, Scout's like, what? It's just because you're smart. Yeah, and then the, and the challenge, actually, Scout's like, Oh, yeah. well, Eliza comes over and she's like, oh, it shows you right where you are, right, boys? You know, she has, she kind of mouths off and Scott's like, oh, no, you're, you're a smart one. And Eliza goes, oh, well, you're really not. <laughs> that is a great little exchange. I'd forgotten about that until I saw that this morning. It's a totally great exchange. And yeah. the, uh, the other highlight for me in this challenge is kind of the equivalent of the what happens when there's a shark in the water. Uh, the question is like, True or false, the Vanuatu believe that you can drink hot lava to cleanse yourself of bad spirits. And I think, like, half the people say true, and Jeff's like, no, it's false. If you drink hot lava, you'll burn all your internal organs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, that is they, a great question. They drink a cup of lava, and Jeff's yeah. like, if you drink a cup of lava, you're dead. <laughs> the little smartass got it. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought it was a porn star. Yes. No, that yeah, that is a great question. And then uh, we get to the end of the coconut challenge, and hey, look at that—the quote-unquote leader of the women's tribe somehow won and didn't get chopped by the other women, Leanne. Yeah, yep. this is a this is a great episode for Leanne as well because we really get to see in her in her strategic character, kind of like what we saw a little bit with John Kenny in the in the double tribal council episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she so she obviously. As it, as it was back in the old days of Survivor, one person wanted a, a reward challenge, and they got to pick another person to go with them on a challenge. And uh, Leanne picks Julie because, A, Julie having been in another alliance for the entire time they were on a tribe together, and B, having Julie on a separate tribe for the latter half of the pre-merge, Julie's kind of on the outs of the tribe, and Leanne's saying, does the very wise move of uh, bringing an outsider into the inner circle of her alliance. That really is a great move. I mean, a very underrated move by a very underrated player, I think. It's a, it's a clever move, and it, it doesn't cause a lot of waves, right? Because, you know, she she could take Amy and, and stuff like that, but it's like, Amy's going to understand, you know? Leanne's going to take Julie. People like Julie. It's this whole thing of people like Julie, right? It's it's not like she's taking Eliza or Scout or somebody that is polarizing, right? Like, obviously, Julie has, has screwed over the men, but, like, Chad's pretty you know, bitter, but Chad's pretty pissed about it. But like both Chris and Sarge have given the whole confessional of, well, they got us hats off to them. And you know, that that's part of, I think their personality, but part of the fact that, you know, people just like Julie, Julie is ingratiating. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Leanne chooses Julie, it's probably like Leanne's like, I choose Julie. And she did it for purely strategic reasons, which were great reasons, but I'm sure everyone else is like, Oh, Julie, I like Julie. She totally deserves to go on the helicopter. Yep. Absolutely. And of course, this is where we get Leanne's first mention of "Oh my God!" Yeah, when they're on the helicopter. Yeah, uh, which which I, I also liked that the name of the the the, the name of the helicopter it said like helicopter company and it was spelled all weird. I love that. <laughs> but it's like they're going through like Jurassic Park, and it's not because it's not Kauai, but like they're doing it, and they've they've got sort of that music going on, and they show like the scene of them like hovering over like a waterfall that's going down in a sinkhole, and I just like wanted John Hammond to come out and be like, "Welcome." <laughs> have you ever? Have you guys ever been on a helicopter ride like that before? No, yeah. I got to do one over Hawaii once, and it's it's just like that because you wear the headphones, you can't hear a goddamn thing in the helicopter. So you have to press this button to talk to each other. Like someone right next to you could be talking. You have no idea unless they speak into the microphone. <clears throat> and I just want to say my sister-in-law 
was in the backseat of a helicopter. At one point, the door flew open where she's just basically dangling over like a, an active volcano in Hawaii. She starts screaming bloody murder. She's screaming for th- like 30 seconds and nobody knows because it's so loud in that helicopter. I just want to point out that's what it's like <laughs> to be in one of those helicopters. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Afterwards, she's like, I almost fell out. And like, we had no clue. We're just looking down at the volcano. But yeah, that, that's the thing. That's why they have to speak so weirdly into the headphones. You have to press <laughs> a button to even hear each other. Oh, my God. I almost died. The, the door flew open. Oh, dude, you had a great view then. What'd you see? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, they have a really cool, hel- cute helicopter ride. And, again, Leanne, one of my favorite adorable contestants, drops the, oh, my God. And they got to go down and have the picnic on the volcano, which was all green. It was fun. Yeah, and then they talk about how horrible Eliza is and how they have to get rid of her, which is just <laughs> continuing yeah. the theme. Yeah, poor Eliza. She just – Eliza is – I mean, she's just is rubbing everyone the wrong way, and, and, and it sucks because I actually think that Eliza is super smart, right? Like, yeah. you, could, you could see she's completely, you know, capable and intelligent human being, but she is just not rubbing these people the right way. And, it, uh, you know, it has been said by Chris and other things, and you can even tell in the edit that Eliza and Scout and Twyla were just – really the main focal point but i mean it's dripping over to like leanne and and julie and you know other people rory i mean you know she's just not having doing well with anybody no yep. and, it, and it, again it speaks testament of, to how crazy this season actually was and due to the fact that like despite all that eliza makes it far into the game <laughs> she does she had she had a legitimate chance to get to the final two at one point i think i mean chris he really had to flip a coin at a certain point. Do I want to go with Eliza or Twyla? Who will be hated more? And it's a, it's a testament to Eliza that there was someone else who was hated even more than she was. Yeah. But I think that also, that again, not to go too much into the metagame at the end, but I think it speaks back to Mike's point of this is a season where people were out for themselves. Yeah. Because ultimately Eliza's got to, you know, Eliza and Scout and Twyla have to, have to help each other. And, you know, you would not, with all the vitriol that's being spewed, you wouldn't expect it. Yeah. So right, speaking, so- of, speaking of Eliza, I mean, we get back to camp and she's pissed and Scout and her still kind of go at it again. And we hear again Scout saying, you know, I've been fed up with Eliza since day two. I'm over her. And then Chris basically kind of gets the light bulb on his head of like, all right, let's just hop on this hate Eliza train. And hopefully that means that we'll, uh, we'll be able to get rid of her. <laughs> I can never get enough of Scout just passive aggressively baiting Eliza. Like, Little one, look at you. You're pissed off. Oh, my God. It's so adorable when you get angry. Just little stuff like that. But yeah, Chris is saying, okay, look, there's cracks. There's weaknesses. We're going to sabotage Eliza. We'll get her out of here. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting sort of on a rewatch knowing sort of the order and, and knowing just what falls out with Eliza for the fact that, you know, Chris's first idea to kind of get get things going and break the Women's Alliance is to get everyone against Eliza. Very true. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we get a kind of an infamous scene here where Julie and uh, and Leanne are coming back from their award with the chicken wings. Yes. And there's that mm-hmm. funny scene where they're talking on the helicopter where Julie's like, I do love these people. And Leanne's me like, too. me too. <laughs> Maybe I'm just drunk. Me too. <laughs> That's fantastic comic timing. Right yeah, classically Leanne scene. Yeah. That's great comedic timing by Leanne. That's that's just well done, well delivered. But of course, you get the the famous scene where they come back and they get off the helicopter, which lands like very close to their beach, and they run up and uh, the men are out on a boat, just plotting and you know just doing men on a boat, whatever, uh, you know, probably talking about their elaborate dreams. But um, 
basically Leanne and Julie walk up and they're like, are the boys here? And they're like, no. And they're like, well, we smuggled back chicken wings and uh, we smuggled a bunch of bones and we're going to offer that to everyone. But we got two chicken wings each for just the ladies. Yeah. This is a nice dick move, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be high on the greatest dick moves of Survivor, not including Jeff Probst. Well, I think that's the problem. And I, I think that's the problem with why people don't like the season. And to me, you just have to sit back and enjoy it. But it's, I think it's the problem at the time. It's, it's always the who do you root for sort of thing. Because as, as you've said, and as, as I said, I think that people, you know, people always tend to root for underdogs. And not just do they root for underdogs. I think that for the most part, just underdog-wise and just demographic-wise, I think that uh, people root for women a lot, and, and especially women's alliances, right? Mm-hmm. So in theory, you want to root for the women's alliance here, but you've got Amy at the head of it, which is sort of being portrayed not in the most positive light. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, Leanne and Julie coming back and they're basically excluding food from the men. Yeah. And like, that's such a fun moment. Like, that's so fun that they did that. I mean, it's a total dick move, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it's such a fun thing that they did it. But it's like, I think people at home are watching it. They're conflicted because they're like, I want to root for this woman's alliance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then compare that to when the men come back and they're eating the bones and you have this confessional from Sarge being like, you know, ordinarily any American would complain about having to eat the bones, but today it's like Christmas. And like, it's just so cutting comparing to like these women giving each other looks about how they had just feasted on chicken wings before they got there. Right. Yeah, they, I think, they feasted. I, yeah. I was going to say, it's a good point that you made. If you don't realize this is the Chris story yet, it's, it is very confusing to know who you're supposed to be rooting for. Yeah, it's tough because I think people inherently want to root for this female alliance, but it's like they are the powerhouse. They are, you know, dominating, and not only are they dominating, they are rubbing the men's face in it every chance they get, you know, and and just going ha ha ha, we're in charge. And then they come back and they they give chicken wings to the women. They exclude the men, and then you have just this great scene from the men where they were like, well, we brought back chicken bones, but there's meat on it, and the men are eating just the meat that is left on these chicken bones, and they're so grateful, and they're saying, thank you so much. This was really thoughtful. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that that's, it, it, I think it just brought a lot of flags into people's heads of, like, what what am I rooting for here? Well, again, and that's the thing. The men never disrespect the women at any point in this season, at least not Sarge, Chad, and Chris. Well, they do verbally. I mean, there is there there is chauvinism going on, but I think that's something that, most people at least expect or is some sort of societal norm. But Wait, where, where? I'm trying to think of when there was chauvinism. I mean, Sarge says a couple times that we're going to beat them because it'll be like a, a varsity team against like a JC, JB team, or I forget what that is. But like at no point were Chris and Chad and Sarge ever like disrespectful to the women up to this point. They weren't ever actively disrespecting the women. I'll give you yeah. that. Um, yeah. I, th- I think they, they do because I think that in society there is just natural built-in uh, sexism and chauvinism in there, and they do display that. They're not being, like I think, totally gender-sensitive, but I agree with you, Mario, that they were not actively trying to, you know, uh, put the women down in any yeah. way. Yeah, I mean, the scene that you got a, the nice guy with a missing leg, he isn't... Like I said, he's a sympathetic, popular, I mean, a positive character if there ever was one. And you're excluding food from him and mocking him on TV. It's just, it's just kind of a dick scene all around. That's how I always look at it. Yeah, you're denying food from the military hero and the man with one leg. And the guy who loves milk. Oh, boy. <laughs> all right. So anyway, let's go to the immunity challenge. This is where Eliza has to go get the pig at, at the tree mail. And she yeah, drags it back. It's, it's, one, it's one of those, like, multi-episode 
storylines in those early seasons that just are kind of there and the pig comes into play the next episode but it's a, a nice little a nice little thing to distract us for three minutes specifically with uh twilight and sarge both wanting to kill it and coming at it with machetes yes and eliza can't get this pig like you know she has to get the pig and the pig is just screaming and not wanting to go with her <laughs> and she, you know, she's just like oh come on <laughs> and again i can't get over the fact i love just ra- shots of random pigs screaming <laughs> Random pig screaming, and then she finally she's like, Chris, come help me, and Chris just picks it up. Yeah. yeah. That pig is a bad influence on you, Eliza. Pig, right. what are you doing? <laughs> All right, so we go to the uh, immunity challenge. This one's a particularly boring one. This is the uh, tangram where they have to match an image, making up out of a bunch of shapes and stuff. It's not a tangram. It's more of it's a, it's a puzzle that's it's, it's, a, it's the same pattern, but it's the, the pieces flip over, and there's different colors. Yeah. So then Jeff holds up basically a, a a pattern of it with all the colors and you need to he gives you like a minute or some shit and then you have to like flip over the pieces to match the picture. And as we and, understandably saw in the in one of those reward challenges, the men are not so great at, at memory and they all get eliminated in the first round. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was shocked. Were you shocked? I was shocked. <laughs> the game's not out memory. <laughs> all right. So anyway, Amy wins and uh we know it's going to be Sarge, uh, Chad, or Chris. And this is where we get a little drama here where Sarge and Twyla talk. And Twyla finally realizes that the guy's never turned on her. Julie was the one who screwed with her. Mm-hmm. And Twyla realizes at this point, uh-oh, I screwed up. Like, uh, these guys were totally in with me, and they were being sincere. And, again, this is Julie's reign of terror has started here. Yeah, so now it's interesting enough that, you know, 20 minutes ago we had Chris saying, okay, let's all hop on the train to take out Eliza. Now the plan is to bring Twyla and Eliza aboard to take out the other women. Yeah. Which is, again, this is a great, this is a great thought by, I think it's Chad that brings this up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where he's like, wait a minute, Eliza's on the outs. We need to bring her in. Like, that is really smart. I mean, yeah. it doesn't work, but it's a smart idea. I like the way he phrases it. Isn't that where he goes, I just thought of this, Sarge. Yeah. I just realized. <laughs> he walks up to him as, as him and Twyla are walking away. He goes like, I literally just thought of this. <laughs> yes. I'm sure you did, Chad. Thank you. So anyway, yeah. it's a good plan, but it doesn't quite happen, and we're about to lose Sarge. We're about to lose Sarge. We'll, we'll have some drama with that. I mean, ultimately, I will say, strategy-wise, I know people don't really listen to our podcast for, you know, super strategic talks but again this is sort of like the rhino situation in pearl islands where rhino comes up to fair play and is like i have an idea you can use me and you know tawana and people to sort of you know get the numbers and, and vote out rupert and you guys can take control of the game and fair play is like yeah that's a great plan we don't need you you know and it's like it's not totally at that level yet but it's like the thing is, is that the women's alliance is going to fracture, and Chad and Sarge are trying to figure out ways that they can all fracture the alliance. But the problem is, is that it's not going to fracture yet, and the people don't necessarily need all these people to be there to fracture it. So it's like mm-hmm. without that, nece- without that necessity, without that dire straits coming in, people are not going to act right now. But you can see that people are starting to see what are the pieces that need to move for this to happen. I think what Jay is basically trying to say is, "Screw you, Rhino." I can't believe we mentioned Rhino twice in the span of 30 minutes on this podcast. <laughs> I was planning to talk about this bit. I have this written down in my notes, and just the fact that, you know, you bring up Rhino in another joke is not on me, dude. It's not on me. I'm not about that life. <laughs> All right, so Sarge is voted out, and this is where we get the 
famous scene, and again, this is the beginning of Chris's Kill Bill revenge story, where Chris votes for Sarge, and they show it in the episode, and it's one of those things they did not need to show in the episode, because they should have wanted to have suspense, but just because it fits the storyline better, we're going to show Chris voting for Sarge, and vowing to burn every one of them in your honor, Sarge. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure Jay has something to say about that, that that uh, I used to have a uh, misconception about this scene. Oh, gosh. I didn't know we were going to bring this up on air, but yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Okay, I will. Yeah, um, go ahead. Mario and I, you know, we've, we've corresponded for years, you know, just about Survivor and stuff like that. And we were talking about Vanuatu because I specifically remember this. I was in uh, an apartment. I, I, I wasn't living yet with uh, – I wasn't married yet and, and stuff like that. I was living on my own. And I remember I was in that apartment watching this episode. And this is sort of the first season for me where I wasn't just watching the show and, you know, just blindly rooting for someone. Like, I mean, I was still doing that. But this is sort of the first season where I started to really think about how the show was being presented in the edit and stuff like that. Everything sort of became clear to me because I specifically, specifically remember watching this episode and watching the scene and noting the Chris confessional because first you kind of see over his shoulder and you don't see his vote quite yet and he just says uh, you know i'm gonna burn them all and then you it turns and you see chris and you see him and he's holding up his vote for sarge which is a shocking thing i was like holy shit chris is voting for sarge but he was like this is not a vote against you this is a vote for you i'm gonna use this and then he puts it in the urn and at the whole time i just remember going like my first thought was oh my god i can't believe chris voted for sarge but then oh, there was a, just a second thought that popped in my head, and it was, why are they showing me this? And that was the first time I really sat there and was like, why are they showing certain things? Like, you think about that in some weird background aspect, but I literally just sat there and said, why did they just show us that thing? And in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, Chris can win this game. Yeah. And then I literally pulled out a piece of paper and was just writing down all these different scenarios that could get Chris to the end of the game. And I was just writing down like who, you know, who he had to bring over to his side. And it was just this frantic activity of like trying to see Chris's path to the end of the game. And one of the scenarios that I saw Chris's path was the unlikely one that he took. It wasn't the first one or the only one that I found, but it was just one of many that I had sort of written down. But in my head, I was like, Oh my God, Chris just said he was going to burn them all. And they showed me that I think Chris is going to burn them all. And it was a really interesting scene. And I talked about this with Mario, that it was a very light bulb moment for me when I watched Vanuatu that, you know, this this went on and Mario was like, they didn't show Chris's vote. (laughs) You know, for years, I was convinced that they didn't show it in this episode. What I remembered was them only showing it in the flashback at the start of the next episode. And Chris voted for Sarge. And I always thought, oh, the editors cheated. Like, they're flashing back to something that didn't really happen. And it's kind of a mystery science theater. They make fun of that on mystery science theater all the time, where you flash back to things that the characters never actually saw. So for years, I mean, I'm talking five, six, seven, eight years, whenever I write about Vanuatu, I'd write about the scene where the editors cheat, and they put in the flashback of something we never saw. And Jay was one of my readers back then. He'd send me emails all the time. He's like, I'm telling you, Mario, that scene is in episode nine or whatever of Vanuatu. And I didn't believe him because I hadn't watched Vanuatu in a while. So we had a disagreement over this for years and to the point that I, w- I kept spreading the wrong information. And I feel horrible about it now because I would always write about Vanuatu that way, that the editors cheated and threw something in the flashback that didn't happen. But in the end, when I was watching it today, I will be glad to have it on record that Jay was right all along, that it really is at the end of this episode. You see Chris's vote and the editors did not cheat. 
And Yay. all that being said, all that being said, we're going to edit this out of the episode, so nobody will ever hear this. So <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll be, a very, be on, a, it'll, be on very, previously on for the third part of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. But a very hollow victory for Jay Fisher. No one will ever hear this, so good job. I hope that's on my tombstone one day. Jay Fisher, he had a hollow victory. And fuck Rhino. Uh, the interesting thing about this this vote too is that Sarge and Chad end up splitting their votes between yeah. Eliza and Julie. <laughs> what the hell? So I don't know if they were just like if they saw the writing on the wall and just kind of split their votes, or if they were just not on the same page walking in. I interpreted that as more of just fuck you votes. Yeah, that's what I think. If you know you're in trouble, you might as well just throw a vote at somebody just to piss them off. Yep, and Who then knows? Amy's vote. Uh, Thanks to the U.S. troops, which is always fun. <laughs> that was good. What a villain! I hate her. I hate her. She hates. She loves America. Screw her. <laughs> All right, so we can get through one more episode here on the podcast because there's one more kind of transitional episode yep. until the that fireworks. And this is the Chad episode, which is one of the more anticlimactic episodes of the season because you know it's coming. Uh, but it was the it was the first one I remember that was that Survivor submitted for their Emmys. Uh, like I remember specifically, this was the one that they submitted for Vanuatu, and I think it started the big streak of survivors kind of submitting the most WTF episodes uh, as for for the for the Emmys. And I how think, many Emmy how many Emmys has Survivor won, by the way? I think they've only they might have won for cinematography, but the only like major awards they've won were the two for Jeff Probst. Yeah, Jeff Probst has won the relatively newish uh, Emmy for best reality host. Uh huh. Um, but Survivor itself, like, they've had Best Reality Host as long as they've had the category Best Reality Show. Mm-hmm. And Survivor is always nominated but never wins. Although I don't, they, think, I don't think they got nominated this year. No. Did, didn't they nominate Dolly for, like, breakout character from Vanuatu or something? Yeah, they did. And surprisingly, she didn't win. She lost <laughs> no, well, to John Kenny. <laughs> I heard she was, really, she was really indecisive. And she said, like, you know, I'm, I'm the swing nomination. And so everyone decides to reject her. <laughs> All right. So we get to the start of this episode. And Chris, of course, uh, again, I could not say more good things about Chris. Chris is in tears at the start of this episode because he voted for Sarge and he has to pull everyone around camp and he tells him his whole sob story. He's like, Sarge pulled me aside right before tribal. And he said, Chris, vote for me. Everyone else is. And Chris is like, I hated it. I hated doing it, but I had to do it to honor the man that I love. So I voted for him and Chris is in tears. And then Five minutes later, Chris is like, yeah, that was bullshit. <laughs> because I'm just tugging at their heartstrings, trying to open that back door. Classic yeah. Chris. It's, it's not right here, but he has that great confessional in this, uh, in this episode. Yes. And, but he does mention right there, he's tugging at their heartstrings. He's tugging yeah. at their heartstrings. Mario will probably quote verbatim that, that confessional later. But yeah, this is Chris laying groundwork. I mean, it's showing us that Chris is thinking ahead. It's part of the whole, I'm going to burn them all, right? Like Chris is like, I did, I, I told him I, vote, I voted for Sarge and I told him I voted for Sarge and Sarge told me to vote him out because I am trying to sway favor with the ladies. Yes. Rain Ishii will be killed first. Yeah. And well, it looks like... Uh, I mean, it might not necessarily have been a result of Chris, but uh, Scout looks like she has her own game in mind. Because the next morning, uh, she's noticing that Amy and Leanne are starting to bring in Julie, as Leanne did last episode. So Scout has a plan to go after who else but Eliza. (laughs) Well, yeah, a lot of people tend to forget about this. They think that Chris just had this comeback all on his own, or a lot of people will say, well, Twyla just handed it to him without a win. But Scout, again, is playing her own little game here, and her game is very much... You know what? Amy's getting a little cocky. I think I'd like to knock that smirk off her face as well, too. So, yeah, so so Scout is kind of doing her own little thing in her. It's going to dovetail very nicely with what Chris is trying, but they're going to reach that place independently of one another. Yeah, I love that she's like, Amy and Leanne are bringing in 
uh, uh, Julie, let's get rid of Eliza. <laughs> <laughs> Damn that, Julie. Eliza will pay. <laughs> it's good, but you know, again, this is this is the whole Rhino thing of not quite yet. I mean, that's this is how we're thinking about it. You know, on a rewatch and sort of globally at, at, at the at the meta of the whole game here. But I mean. Scout is now going to Chris and going to Chad and just basically saying, I'm going to try to keep you guys here. I've got a plan. Yeah. You know, and, and the sort of is starting to get the balls into motion for, you know, the next half of the season. Mm-hmm. We found yeah. weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Let's bomb Eliza. That should totally be a running joke for us for the future. Just yeah. like, you know. You know, two people like, you know, oh, dude, Alicia and Kimmy were like yelling at each other about the chickens. And then they both wanted to vote out Eliza. <laughs> okay, Eliza's still getting a mention in the title of this podcast. So we just have to think yeah. of how to, how to sufficiently bash her. Well, if, if this podcast ends up coming out significantly later than we recorded it, we can just blame Eliza. <laughs> All right, so we go into the reward challenge here. This that's, is the, the one... that's the name of the podcast. We blame Eliza for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, Eliza, you suck, and Rhino does too. <laughs> uh, but yeah this is the uh this is the reward challenge they brought the pig the pig's arc basically ends in this episode but this is the uh also nor- notable historically for being like the very first team versus team you know they divide into two different teams of equal players and this is the first challenge where like the team that wins that challenge completely wins the reward yes and we'll see we'll see it a lot through modern survivor just because i think they kind of got Lazier, they want to see more dynamics, but this was really... Vanuatu brought a lot of randomly new dynamics, which was essential after All-Stars. You know, as we talked about in the last podcast, it was kind of wiping the slate clean. Uh, so it was the, the first case where, like, you guys randomly divided up with these people, and you're going to enjoy a feast with them in a native Vanuatu village. And you have to bring the pig, because <laughs> otherwise uh, they won't let you in or something. I don't know. <laughs> the pig has a more complete story arc than Brett from Samoa. Yeah. It's very true. I, S- yeah. Sadly, yes. <laughs> I wonder if the pig has its own line of t-shirts. <laughs> All right, let's just uh, fast forward through this challenge. Who who wins? It was uh, Chad, Chris, Eliza, and Amy, right? It's yeah. Chad, Chris, Eliza, and Amy. Again, it's 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 basically that water challenge with them pulling the tiki pieces through instead of instead of tiki pieces. It's a person. They pull Eliza through. Yeah, they pull yeah. Eliza through, and the other people have to pull Julie through. And this <laughs> is one ultimately where I think that because there was Chris and Chad on on team Eliza there. And they just basically, they just threw her through like all those things. And, you know, they had scout with the bum knee and stuff on the other team and couldn't quite brute strength Julie through. Well, it helps when you have no regard for Eliza's safety. You could just throw her into stuff. Yeah. I bet, I bet you scout would have wanted to be on Eliza's team just to like accidentally bash your head on a log. <laughs> if you break her in half, we could send her through the obstacles faster. <laughs> like, scout, like I've just reasoned with me here, guys, if we cut off her legs, that's half the weight. <laughs> So, so it's going to be like a Joel and Chet scene? It is. Yeah. <laughs> I hit my head back there. I don't <laughs> care. I know. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, they win. They get to go to the village. They bring their pig. And this is where the pig pees on the plane, right? Yeah. Yep. Good old pig yeah. peeing on the plane. And I love the, the like, complete failure, failure on the producer's part where, like, they walk to the village and the, the chief takes the pig and he gives them another pig, and they just kind of leave the pig by the bench and just pretend to forget about the pig. It's, it's sort a of, pig exchange program. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really funny, though, because, you know, Jeff's like, you have to bring the pig. It's a custom. You bring a pig, right? So, th- you know, that was like their one thing. I totally get it. Like, 
they are in this, you know, as Chris uh, correctly sort of narrates, you know, when he says he's just like being in that village, it was like we were in a whole other world. Right. Because, you know, they get to this place and everyone's dressed up and they meet them. And it's just this incredible scene. Right. And I mean, it's like their one job that they know. They're like, we're going to probably see some culture and dancing and we'll probably get food at some point. But our one job is we have to get this pig delivered. Yeah. So, like, they're just like, who's the pig person? Who do we who do we do this pig? Can we just get this pig out of the way? So finally, like, the chief comes up. And the chief's like, here, thanks for the pig. And then he just gives them another pig. <laughs> well, what I was thinking, they exchange a white pig for the black pig. So it's like a Vanuatu busing program. Wow. <laughs> then Rory comes on and says, yeah. like, oh, no. Is this pig on the auction block now? <laughs> I don't take too kindly to black pigs being exchanged for white pigs. <laughs> so I love that you went there. My like my thought was always that they had like a decently sized pig, and the guy gave him back like a smaller pig. It could be, and no, that was my I, thing. Was he was like, oh, thanks for this slightly you know grown pig. Um, here <laughs> here's some bullshit. Grow this for us. <laughs> yeah, I just I just think they didn't want to deal with the pig at all. I think the pig was just annoying them. They're like, I fuck this. I don't want another pig. In yeah, camp. <laughs> I get the feeling that like like that was like a practical joke that some of the Vanuatans like played on Jeff and the producers. They're like, no dude, if you go to that camp, you totally have to bring a pig. Like it is such, it's, it's, it's like our custom or something. You totally have to do it. And then they like show up the pig and they're like, probably the village was like, what the fuck are they doing with the pig? <laughs> and this footage shows up later on like Vanuatu's funniest home videos. Like watch what we did to this American reality show. <laughs> watch what we did to these white people. Yeah. Why, why are they bringing a pig? This is totally dumb. <laughs> All right, well, what do we do? Hey, hey, I have an idea, Jerry. Why don't you accept the pig and then just give them another one back and see what they do? Ah, <laughs> oh, the casual conversations between Vanuatu tribesmen. <laughs> huh. Good times. Uh, so not true. But I did like the you fact... You know what? I love you guys. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Sorry. I, I think you're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. All right. No, I, I do like the fact that Chris did narrate. He was just like, we got the pig and they seemed very generous. And then they gave us a pig and we were like, we don't want it. So we just <laughs> left it. <laughs> I'm sure there's a Seinfeld word for that, like repigged or something. The, the, the Vanuatu version of Seinfeld? Yeah. Repigifted or something. It's called Da. <laughs> yes. It's called Da. <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal with all this manioc? <laughs> Sorry. All right. Uh, so anyway, Eliza was responsible for everything horrible. So anyway, <laughs> we get up to the kava. Oh, wait. But I have to point out, Amy is wearing Chris's hat throughout this whole scene, which is an yeah. interesting little thing. Like, again, Chris, good social game. He's in with Amy. You're like, Someone only wears your hat if you're kind of buddies with them. I just like pointing, like throwing that out there. Well, there's that, but I also think that that's sort of an unspoken thing in Survivor. A lot of times is that there. I think there's a fair amount of of clothing exchange. Uh huh. You do see it at some point, like coming back from a challenge. You see Julie wearing Twyla's oversized yellow shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that happens. You know, I remember. Yeah, in Micronesia, there's a lot of scenes where Ozzy comes back with Amanda's panties. Mm-hmm. That's that's something else entirely. But uh, <laughs> okay, we'll get the, we'll, <laughs> uh, But then they they get there and they get you know the the tribe welcomes them and they 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 have this cool dancing scene like it, it is one of the cooler um, sort of things and then basically they get to participate and then we get the kava ceremony. That's yes. right. 
the reintroduction of kava, the muddy vodka that makes your mouth go numb. What do you think the, you know, Mario doesn't drink. Like, Mike, what do you, what do you think the proof is on that kava? I, I have no idea. We also have to consider the fact that, like, the new, like, I mean, it's odd that, I'm just trying to consider how it hit Chad so hard. Because uh, it didn't really hit the men that hard when they had it at the ceremony, but I think they had a smaller portion. They had a smaller portion. It was a bigger portion. But Rory mentioned in the opening ceremony, and Eliza says it here. It's Eliza, right? Yeah. She says it here because they talk about the drinking the kava. And it's not just that like it, it's highly alcoholic. Like She was explaining that it sort of tasted like mud and water and vodka sort of mixed together. But you know, both Rory and vodka said that one of the effects of it was that once you started drinking it, your mouth went numb. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, think about that for a second, all of you out there that, you know, are old enough and have had, you know, liquor of any sort. Like, what what potency of liquor does it need to be for your mouth to physically go numb after yeah, drinking? Just even, e- yeah, even something like Everclear, like, does not make your, your taste buds basically useless. Like that is that is some strong stuff, you know, and and poor Chad, it it, it hit him hard. Oh yeah, Chad is, I, I love it. This is the this again. This is like this the most personality we'll ever see out of Chad. Unfortunately, it's when he's drunk and like having to have, lean his shoulders on Chris as he's walking back, saying like, you know, I sort of feel like my destination is like, whoa. <laughs> well, he, he turned into Scout for thirty minutes. <laughs> well, let's see him. Chris is like, Kava tore him up, man. Yeah. <laughs> Kava tore him up. But what I love is that a lot of the ceremony, like the food eating and a lot, it takes place sort of in the dark, right? Yeah. So a lot, a lot of this, this, uh, a lot of this, uh, village visit is done in like sort of the infrared cam. So by this point, what's, what's funny is that they haven't had their food yet. They haven't had a lot of the ceremony yet. And Chad is just gone. He's gone on the Kava, right? And what's funny is that you see like, the people, they take him to just some hut and they just let him down in blankets like, yep, he's had too much. And he just he just basically sit there and he just looks at the camera and he goes, Kava. <laughs> it's Chad's one great moment. And then he like sort of, you know, goes to sleep. But it's like Chad missed the whole ceremony because he had too much Kava. Yeah. Well, We've I mean, apparently, apparently they didn't miss out on much. I mean, we see Amy and Eliza kind of complain about how the... The meat and banana leaves that they're given as the feast is not so good. But then that's kind of uh, softened by the fact that they have a nice little sing-along with all the kids in the village. Who yep. learned in a song in English. That's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Doing missionary work. Uh, converting them all to Christianity. Well, if, only, if only Lisa was there. Well, I was well, just going to say, well, that's probably where Lisa was spending her, ponder, you know, her, her vacation, you know? Yeah. Because after you know those people that don't make the merge and they get voted out, they have to go on vacation while uh, you know the game finishes out. That's probably where they took Lisa. Yeah, <laughs> she's doing the Lord's work. All right, so back at camp, Scout has a favor. What is the favor that Scout has to everyone else at camp tonight? Please, let's vote out Eliza. Yeah, I was gonna say like the Scout's reasoning is basically everyone is cold and wet and miserable right now. This is a perfect time yeah. to blame everything on Eliza. <laughs> God damn Eliza. <laughs> yeah. They, they have a bad storm that night. Basically it's, it's the, the storm itself is not terrible, but like just the rain and the cold and the wind is, you know, as they said at the time it is the worst night they had out there. And what's great is that everyone's just being miserable and you know, scouts just like, this is so perfect. It's Eliza's fault. So yeah, Scout starts his whole mission. All right, we're getting Eliza out. We're saving the guys. And then 
The guys come back from the reward. Scout tells them, hey, you know, you're safe. It's going to be great. And then Scout realizes something. She doesn't have quite as much power as Amy has. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is where this is really kind of the last straw for Scout, I think, right here. Yeah, it's tough. You know, they, they, they have a conversation. But it's just – I also enjoyed when they came back and just – Leanna, I mean, nobody was happy to see them. Yeah. Because they, they had gone through a pretty rough night, and, you know. They were trying to say, and it was funny because we as viewers got to see both ends, got to see their reward, and also, you know, how the the tribe spent their time out on the island. But it was like, you know, they came back and they were like, "Look, the food was kind of shitty, and you know, it you know, it was it was great to get away, and you know, all that sort of stuff." But it was not like you know the best thing you could ever think of, like being on you know a ninety four foot yacht with burgers and you know. All that sort of stuff. But then, you know, they were like, were, were you in a hut? Were you dry? And they were like, yeah, we were in a hut. It, it didn't leak, but it wasn't like a luxurious hut. And they were like, yeah, but you weren't here. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Eliza was with us. Oh, Eliza was with you. Oh, that must have been Oh, uh, never mind. <laughs> well, you bring up a good point, though. This is the, again, this was the first ever reward where half the camp was gone on a challenge. And obviously it gets utilized more in the future, when uh when teams kind of really disappear but like i think this was a kind of a a good symbol that like clearly this this group of people that were back at camp were kind of all in the same mindset and it was a very different mindset from those who came back and that kind of helped separate them further yep although we should we need to point out here that at this point it looks like eliza's going home tonight and the guys are going to be safe it looks like scout's plan is going to work so again, it's not quite as easy at Pagongi as you think it was. It, it kind of, it's still a little fluid here. Although that, I do have little, to point out, this is Chris's famous confession. Yeah, I was going to yeah, point that is, out. Where Chris has just been lear- just learned that that Scout is feels bad for the men because Amy's so cocky that she feels that Scout feels bad. She's going to save the men. So uh, Chris uh, busts out his confessionally. Any. What I love about this is he starts pointing with a finger, like he's speaking normally, and then he goes into Chris mode, and he's like. You question a woman's character, you question a woman's ability, she'll snap your neck. You open up your heart, though, show a woman you're vulnerable, that's when they start thinking with their heart. That's when they open up that back door. So, anyway, that's, that's how to get a woman to open up the back door. It's interesting that a lot of the fat five are obsessed with butts this season. <laughs> I guess Sir Mix-a-Lot was cut at the last minute from the cast. I was going to say, well, Mike, they, they can't lie. Or, or deny, really. So that's what that's what we need, you know. For all these fan-made Survivor videos, we need one of all these confessionals that men make about asses cut with <laughs> Sir Mix-a-Lot's got back. You got Fishers, you got little cracks, you got Sarge, you got Chris just literally spelling out how to open up the back door. Yeah, but I mean, it's right because you pointed it out, Mario. At this point, you know, Scout comes up to Amy and is like, "We need to get rid of Eliza," and Amy's like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's basically how it works. Amy's like, "No, I don't think so." And that's really, I mean, this is, this is what Vanuatu comes down to. Everyone thinks it's a, a, the Chris showcase, but it's really a power struggle between Scout and Amy, kind of, as it gets down to the end. And really, it's one of those where Chris wins because neither side really wins, and they both take their toys and go home, and Chris just is like, yeah, screw that. So and that's, that's really what kind of happens here. It's a power struggle. And this is the last straw. Amy's going to play her trump card in, on Scout one last time and say, no, I'm in charge. And next episode, Scout's going to say, you know what? No, now I'm in charge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not, this is not a purposeful thing by, by Scout. But, you know, 
again, it's it's not just the dire straits, but it's just the fact that you know, as far as numbers go, they don't necessarily need to flip with both Chad and 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 Chris, right? It's like Jeff even points it out. It's like you know, once Chad gets voted out, Jeff Probst says to them, like you know, you know, you've done the done well so far. You voted out just to the to to the remaining man, but now you know, with you guys looking further in the game, maybe this man, one man's value comes, you know, can come into play and be a vote for you. Grab your torch and step back to camp. You know, he doesn't say it in those words, but he's basically saying, well, there's one dude now, maybe he'll be a bargaining chip. Yeah. And it's like, that's when, you know, as we've learned in later seasons of Survivor, and you have to remember your context, Chris's story is unique. And Chris's story is still unique to this day and all the seasons of Survivor that, that have happened. But the concept of, picking off some sort of alliance until basically one member is left. And then that one member getting a huge power because they get used in other power struggles. This was new to us. This is not something we've, you know, envisioned before, but you know, going back and looking at the season, you could just see like they didn't necessarily need all these men around. And so the trick for Chris was to be the last man standing. Yeah. And again, we will see this a little bit in two seasons in Guatemala, but Chris is the first. Yeah, and it's it's definitely it's more of a it, this this is more of a, a flourishing storyline just because it is ingrained in men versus women and you have Amy yeah. leading the charge with this alliance, but uh, this definitely sowed the seeds that this storyline could actually exist. All right, so let's finish this off real quick. We go to the immunity challenge. This is one where you hold on to that climbing pole for as long as you can, and uh, Chino Chad puts in a great effort. But in the end, he loses to Twyla, who is literally biting the rope to hold on with her teeth. And you got to respect that kind of effort. Absolutely. Yeah, she yeah. went. She went to a place, man. <laughs> she did. Place I, I don't want to think about. <laughs> you don't. You don't want to elaborate on it. <laughs> nope. You know, like, cause she. Th- that's that's the whole trick in that is you have to somehow sort of force yourself or, or trick yourself into being relaxed, right? Because it's like she sort of got in that position where you know her mouth was open and hanging on the on the on the rope, and she was you know she had her eyes closed. I mean she wasn't moving like she was somewhere else. I don't know where she was, but she wasn't there. Yeah, except for at the at the end of the challenge, like she's very clearly suffering. And when as she sh- sees Chad slip, she's like, "Come on, Chad, fall, fall, Chad, come on, Chad, fall." <laughs> right. I wonder if Chris, you know, again, Chris Chris is thinking a lot about the numbers, and Chris has got you know. Chris is so good at a lot of aspects of this game, but I was wondering if, if in Chris's mind he was thinking, my God, I really hope Chad doesn't win this. <laughs> yeah, I bet he was. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, so anyway, we go back to camp. Uh, Twyla has won immunity. Chad thinks, well, I guess I'm safe tonight because people have said I'm safe. And then Twyla says, no, actually, I'm not sure what's going on. Our scout says, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. And, and it, there's a really, really telling scene actually right here. This is right at the end of our podcast, but I want people to remember this. Twyla goes up to Amy, says, what's the plan? Who's going home tonight? And Amy says, I'm not the person to ask. I've never been the person to ask. And she points. And who does she point to? And this backs up everything Chris has always said. Leanne. Leanne. Go talk to Leanne. She will tell you what the plan is. It's a really interesting scene. And that's the one thing that kind of backs up what Chris told me, that Leanne was really the brains running the show. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, uh, I mean, we just see a lot of Amy... uh, Specifically, yeah. this scene is basically just Twyla being pissed at Amy, and we see a tribal council, like, we contrast Twyla essentially saying that, like, she can't really trust anyone 100% to Amy, who kind of smugly says that, like, you know, I can trust people, and I know that I can be trusted. So, like, it's, I feel like the producers thought, like, Amy, while Leanne's running the show, Amy is, like, the face of the alliance, so they're just yeah. going to kind of 
put that face out there as much as they can, which unfortunately is to the detriment of Leanne, who could have been a great character in her own right. Yeah, it's like you have a real leader and a spiritual leader, and Amy is really the spiritual leader. She's the heart and soul of that alliance. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that I think that both are right because I'm I'm you know Rory said before he left, you know he's like Amy is running the show and she's the queen bee and she needs to be taken down a peg. I think he's right. Yeah. But Chris says said many times that. Amy was not the ultimate shot caller. Leanne was the ultimate shot caller. I think Chris was right. You know, I I think that both were right. I think that, as I said earlier, Leanne was just sort of the, she, she was the sane person that, you know, had the level head. And so like Amy was like, I think we should get rid of this person. Is this a good idea? Should we do this? And Leanne was just like, yeah. And then it happened. Like, I don't think Leanne was like, you know, all right, this is the plan. We're all going to do this. Blah, 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 blah. Now go out ready. Break. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like people came to her with stuff, but like she was the one to kind of arbitrate and decide. Yeah. Leanne, again, was the huge Survivor super fan. She right. knew this show inside and out. It, again, if, if things had worked out a little differently, I think Leanne and Amy go down as like Steven and JT and Token Teams, the great yeah. two-person alliance that makes it all the way to the end. Just a two-headed dragon. Yep. But the, their flaws, both of them, you know, and, and Amy takes the brunt of it just because we're we're dealing with Amy more on the show than Leanne, but... Both of their flaws is that it shows up here. Scout is clearly not happy and is trying to figure out some way to get the men in an alliance. Uh-huh. And then this scene with Twyla, you mentioned it, Mara. This is a really good scene. And, and, it, and it's good because it's very telling. Because Twyla is... What's funny is that you know Chad goes up to both Scout and Twyla and is like, what's going on? And they basically give him a flippant answer, which usually in Survivor is never a good sign, right? Mm-hmm. And Chad interprets it as, well, this isn't a good sign. But ultimately, I don't think that they were truly cognizant of what was going on because I think that Amy and Leanne weren't including them on everything. Yeah. And one, th- one thing I have to point out is that we're talking about Scout doing an overthrow here. I don't think Scout necessarily wanted to take over the game with the men and take them to the Final Four. I think Scout is just thinking short-term here like Eliza and Julie don't deserve to be here and Chad and Chris do because they work hard and they're better people. I don't think Scout's necessarily trying to turn on the women. I think she turns on the women next episode just because she's pissed that Amy has negated her so much. Right. And I don't think she's really trying to get rid of Amy at this point. I think she's just trying to say, look, think of the big picture. Think of deserving. It's kind of like Tina Wesson here a little bit. Like Amber doesn't belong to be here. These other people do. So I, I, think, I think Scout gets misinterpreted. I don't think she was turning against the women at all. But I think it does happen next episode because Amy has pushed her buttons too much. And with Scout, you don't push her buttons. Right. I think she's honestly just trying to get rid of Eliza. Yeah, more than yeah. likely. You know, and and to to a lesser extent, Julie. But you know, yeah, she she's trying to do her thing. But couple couple this scene with which while I was realizing, I think the last episode when she was talking with Sarge of like, oh man, Julie has you know snowed me over. I think this is where we see this, the seeds being planted of Twyla is a, a betrayal as well, and this is a really really showcasing exactly why Twyla leaves the alliance too. Yeah. So anyway, we go to tribal council here and. One thing that's telling in this little tribal council is even Jeff Probes calls out Amy for the smug little smirk on her face, the whole tribal council. It's just one of those things where Amy's just getting a little too cocky. And this is really where it's about to fall for her. So this is the peak of Amy right here. And it's interesting that this is the last thing we kind of remember about her before her fall. That even Probes calls out, man, you got a smug little smile on your face right now. Well, again, it's, it's, it's not just the pride before the fall. But again, this, this is the fault of Leanne and Amy is that they are just very secure that this women's alliance is going to stick and that, you know, and, and, you know, 
strategic wise, yeah, it could stick. But the problem is, is that you know you have to sell them onto the idea just more than anything. It's not just well, we made this deal day one. Let's just stick with it. It's like things change. The game's always in flux, yep. and they weren't catering to everyone's needs. Like Twyla comes up with this scene, and she's super upset, and they don't play cater very well. They sort of blow her off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's it's it. like, I mean, yeah, that's the game in the nutshell right there, is that Amy's smug, and you know, it's, it's fun to see Amy smug, but it's like, if Amy is doing everything that she can, and like everybody is placated and happy, she could probably be smug all she wants. Yeah, but she's not doing her job. Well, it's funny. You can see all these scenes with Amy kind of butting heads with Scout Twyla at this point, but there's no scenes of Leanne interacting with anybody. I mean, just this little one at the end here you kind of see. I'm, I would just be fascinated to see the footage of Leanne dealing with Scout and Twyla and what all their relationship was during all this point in the game, because you only see really the Amy part of it. Yeah, something tells me that Leanne was like the one to to like continue to reassure them. I know we say that Amy was kind of like the spiritual person on Yasser to like you know give Eliza a hug after she lost the challenge that pig challenge but like I feel like Leanne was, would be the type of person with her calm demeanor to just kind of walk up to them afterwards and be like don't worry it'll be okay we're good until the end let's just vote chat out and take it one day at a time yeah and of course we can't un- uh, underestimate the thing with Leanne bringing Julie on the reward which seems like a minor thing the helicopter reward which Jay pointed out causes a huge amount of suspicion among everybody else in the alliance. Like, why is Julie her number two all of a sudden? So there's a lot of little stuff you don't think about that can cause dissension among an alliance. Yeah, I think the, the, the you know, it's, it's all about communication. I think the fact that, like, had Leanne come back to camp and basically announced to everybody, or announced, told Scout and Twilight, like, I brought Julie on there so I could bring her into the fold, I think that would have been a lot better than to just kind of do it and then move forward with it because yeah. I think that just sows a lot of dissent in two people who didn't necessarily have the most trust in your alliance in the first place. And we have no proof she didn't say that. That's the thing. We don't know. We just don't see enough Luanne footage to really know the dynamic there. That's the problem. And I think that's about it. With that, Chad gets voted out. And now we are down to uh, six women versus one man. And Chad is just absolutely shocked on his way out. His final words, he's like... You know, I was not going to go home, and then Amy stepped in and just changed everything. He's like, she's amazing. So it's like, it, at this point, it looks like Amy, in particular, is unstoppable. No one's going to stop this great new Survivor villainess. It's six women, one man, and in the words of uh, Bill Paxton and Aliens, it's game over, man. It's a bug hunt. Game over. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean... As I said previously, you know, with the with the with the Sarge vote, I was thinking maybe Chris wins, and I was thinking out scenarios. But that, it, it, that's not what's going through your head. You're still watching the episodes, and you're just watching the fact that Amy is just snowing everyone. And you know, not only that, but Chad got unceremoniously voted out. Everything went according to plan. The only votes that didn't go his way were given by, you know, both Chad and Chris. You know, all the women are still sticking together, and even though you're seeing all these fractures. Like, what's going to happen? How's it going to... What's, what's going to happen? It just doesn't look like Amy is going to be stopped. A lot of people I've heard this over the years say they can't really appreciate Vanuatu because they don't like Chris. Like, if I don't want to root for Chris, how could I possibly enjoy the season? And all I can say is right here in this point in the game, root for Scout. It changes your viewing a little bit. Just think of Scout as the good guy and Amy as the bad guy. And just think about the next episode from Scout's point of view where Scout finally topples the big bad villain who nobody ever says no to. If there's one thing that'll make you appreciate the season, maybe that will do it. 
but don't think too much from Scout's point of view or you'll start having weird dreams about Twyla. That's true. It's actually a decent way to look at it, to look at Scout, because as you pointed out, you know, it, people, I think people look at that at this point in the game and they're like, well, there's six women left and there's Chris. And Chris is now going to systematically go through all of these women on the way to a victory. And I think people focus on that. And that is an incredible story in and of itself. But he, you know, as you've brought up and as we try to emphasize, he doesn't do it by himself. And in a lot of ways, he can't orchestrate everything. I think people is always, when they, when they hear this thing of, oh, do you know about Survivor Vanuatu? Chris is, becomes the only man left with six women who are in an alliance, and he comes out on top. And everyone's like, oh, wow, he must have done some masterful things. He did, but he, didn't, he wasn't in charge every step of the way. He wasn't, but you also have to play devil's advocate here that Scout helps him because she likes him and she thinks he deserves it. And a lot of that is to Chris's credit that he makes people like him and want him to keep him around. I'm not saying he, doesn't, he shouldn't get any credit. Yeah. But what, but what you're saying here is root for Scout, right? Because it's like at this point, like the next few moves in the game are going to be Scouts. Mm-hmm. So and, and, and Chris is just a benefactor by proxy. Not saying he didn't do anything, but it's like he is he is going to benefit from moves that are happening, and the moves are being made by Scout. Yeah. Again, Survivor's never been as simplistic as one person does everything. And yeah. I know Russell Hans likes to describe Survivor as that. It's never been that. It wasn't even like that in his season. You got 16, 18 people all doing moves that benefit them. So yeah, Chris, he's going to benefit from a really amazing storyline here. But of course, it's not just all him, and it's just simplistic to think that it is. But I'm super excited for us to talk about it, because I mean... The whole, the whole last, you know, I guess four four episodes that we're covering are some of the most exciting four episodes that the, the series has seen. And just in terms of like w- how the game flips from where we are right now, so it's it's an it's an amazing ending to the season, and I'm so pumped to talk about it. I will tell you, the next episode, the Chris one, the Chris, where Le- they flip on Leanne. My wife and I watch Survivor together. We have never missed an episode in what, 28 seasons now. We always watch together. There was one episode that, for some reason, we were doing something that night. We couldn't watch Survivor the night it aired. It was the next episode, the Chris Gets Saved episode. So we, we decided we were going to wait the next day to watch it on Friday. But I couldn't wait. So I waited. My wife went to bed, and I had to watch it. I had to see if Chris was going to be saved. It was the only episode in 28 seasons I'd watch without my wife. And I was jumping up in the air, punching the air with my fist. I was so excited. It's like the one time in history. I was so excited. I'm visibly I mean, celebrating like Chris. And my wife was so pissed at me the next day that I watched it without her. She's like, I heard you jumping around out there. I knew you were watching it. So it's just, I always remember this next episode. It had to be that one that I didn't watch with my wife, but I just could not wait the next day. I had to see if Chris survived. And I blame Eliza for all of that. <laughs> it really is Eliza's fault that you couldn't wait uh, if you, and, and watch the episode. Yeah, if you think about it, it really is. I mean, uh, she's just a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, should, we should all sing in front of her. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that wraps up pretty much part two of our Survivor Vanuatu podcast. I think that was a very fun one. We got some new running jokes in there, which is good. We're always looking for good running jokes to call back like uh, Eliza and Rhino stuff. So that's good. Uh, I like the pig exchange. The pig exchange, I thought, was one of the funnier things we've done in quite a while. 
I like how you're now like summarizing our jokes. Like, what the hell is this? I'm trying to remember so I don't forget. This is for the previously on when we also edited in that one clip. Exactly. I also thought that I was extremely clever when I said that one thing where I was clever. Hey, you did the pig exchange. You made me laugh. So I wasn't even taking credit for that, you dick. Dick. All right. So we are going to wrap up part two and we will finish up our viewing and then we will watch part three. You have anything, uh, anything to add before we head off here? Uh, oh, Rhino. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry for screwing up this podcast, everyone. Uh, go fuck yourself. And uh, may your dreams get more elaborate. <laughs> All right. And I'll do Chris's one, one, one more thing here. You question a woman's character. You question a woman's ability. She'll snap your neck. You open up your heart, show her you're vulnerable. Then they start thinking with their heart. That's when they open up that back door. So... If you ever needed advice on how to have anal sex with a woman, there you go. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah, that's, a good, that's a good joke to go out on. Always there go out go. on anal sex. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so, for, so for Survivor Historians, I'm Mario Lanza. <laughs> I'm Jay Fisher. And I'm Mike Bloom. And we will catch you pretty soon for part three. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you have any comments or questions, please email us at survivorhistorians at gmail.com. Thank you. Goodbye. Sarge would be a hell of a choice to take to the final two because he would win. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. I think both of you got a leg up on me. I think both... Dude, I didn't mean so to say that. No, I, dude, I, I totally did. Listen, no. I think There's so both. many puns, dude. Oh There's a million. God, I didn't just say that.